Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. Brothers and sisters of the leaf, coming to you live once again from the corner of no hope, it's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight the boys fill us in on all the various forms of entertainment they've been soaking up so far this year, as they get nice and hammered on delicious craft beers while smoking the CAO BX3 cigar from General Cigar Company. Beers will be chugged, friendships will be tested, and maybe just possibly a tidal wave of unparalleled horniness will ensue leaving your life forever altered in ways that you never dared to dream possible i mean anything's possible when these drunken dreamboats take the mics am i right and yes these quote unquote dreamboats wrote those very words that i just read out loud without thinking anything about reality connected to them but that doesn't mean they aren't true although they probably aren't. Anywho, it sounds like we're in store for one hell of a good time, folks. So sit back, light them up, and enjoy the show. Let me take one more sip of this stuff. Ah. Welcome, everybody, to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, episode 159. 159. You know what this means, boys? Uh, only 10 more shows until we are done with this nonsense. After episode 169, our shackles fall off and we're finally free, damn it. Woohoo! Yeah. Hey, if 69s are fun, think how fun a 169 will be. Am I right? Uh, watch me look it up in Urban Dictionary. It turns out 169 is when you like try to blow yourself and break your neck. That, that wouldn't be fun at all. That's about right. Uh, yes, yeah, probably sounds about right. Uh, is, is that cool? Do you guys want to all do that on episode 169? No, I don't want to do that. No. Yeah, me neither. I was just kidding. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'm not going to do that in front of you guys. Uh, oh, well, so be it. What what a way to go Ooh. that would be, though, right? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm thinking 169 will just, uh, the whole shit house will go up in flames. We'll, we'll, we'll end on a high note. Uh, we'll see. We'll play it by ear. How's that? 
Good. Okay. Good. I like that. Okay. Uh, everybody doing okay? It's been a little bit. Been <laughs> a little oh, man. School started. Oh, I can see it in your face. That that burgeoning sense of youthful enthusiasm and a quest for knowledge that the other kids have. You, you don't have any of that. No, no. <laughs> Just get out of my way, old people or young people. When Tut first went back to school, everyone thought he was a professor because he'd like wear blazers and like, you know, might dress up a little bit. And, and now they all think he's a custodian. Yeah, it's, that's accurate. It's, that's accurate. Yeah. And not even like the pleasant, nice old custodian that everybody likes. You're like the one that creeps everybody out. They keep throwing paper at me and it's, <laughs> it's not fun. Maybe if you didn't push around a mop and bucket cut, they wouldn't think that. Yeah, you're kind of bringing it on yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, we'll talk about it after the show. If you need, if you need a, a, a friendly shoulder to, to cry on, I, I'm going to close my laptop, but, the, but, uh, Yak Boy will be here for you. I, I'm beyond friendly shoulders. <laughs> oh, so you are up for that 169. <laughs> That's what a 169 is. You and a chick 69, Tut stands in the corner crying while, do, while doing his math homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, I think I'd rather try and blow myself. <laughs> well, either either way, it's steamy. Uh, well, anyway, oh hey, perfect segue. Speaking of Urban Dictionary, I have a uh, daughter who's nearly a teenager. Can you believe that? She's uh, yeah. just started middle school, and half the things that come out of her mouth. I have no idea what they mean. And if I've heard the words before, they don't mean anymore what I've always known them to mean. Um, so I have no idea what she's talking about, no idea what she's referencing. And uh, it could be very frustrating to say the least. So I, I find myself quite often these days Googling like a term I'll hear her either talking about with her friends or, you know, if I'm looking through her text messages because I'm a good parent. AKA a nosy bastard. Uh, I'll be like, Oh my God, what does this mean? I'll, I'll go, you gotta stay on top of this stuff. I mean, you can't be too safe. And uh, <laughs> I just want to know what the fuck she's talking about. And it's hard these days, boys. It's hard. And uh, so anyway, I will go onto Google and I'll look up rando words and figure, you know, figure out what the kids are up to these days. Like how I threw that in there. Rando boys means random. That's a yes, slang. Yes. That's a sl- slang the kids use. Basically, you just take one letter off, and it's still the same number of syllables. They don't say random at all. It's all rando. That's pretty stupid. Uh, well, that's between you and the twelve-year-olds, my friend. I don't know it. <laughs> uh, anywho, a lot I of like the rando. a lot of the terms. Whenever I Google it, a lot of the terms and their meanings can be found on a website. It's been around forever, but I'm only just now. Uh, having a reason to utilize it, urbandictionary.com. Uh, y'all familiar with that website? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, I, I was on. To, I have to look it up daily in my travels. Oh, I imagine you you go to school with a bunch of uh, youngins or younger yeah, than. That's the only way I can communicate. There you go. Well, I was on it the other day. Uh, I was trying to find out what a sussy baka is, it means a suspicious fool. Uh, for those inquiring minds like me. Uh, and I told her to quit calling me that. Baca. I'm not a sussy baka. Uh, and on a whim, 
I started typing some rando stuff in there, including my name, uh, some other stuff, just uh, farting around. And I went ahead and put the four of our names into Urban Dictionary to see what it would kick out. And the search results, needless to say, uh, were fascinating. You fellows ready for this? No. Really? Hey, go right ahead. And these are, by the way, 100% legit. You can go to the website, viewers, listeners at home. You can look it up right now and follow along. I'm not making this shit up. This is straight off UrbanDictionary.com, word for word. Here we go. Who would I want to start with? I'm going to start with Cody, a.k.a. Yak Boy. Cody, according to UrbanDictionary.com, Cody is a person who's very thoughtful, kind, and funny. He never makes you feel like you're alone. He makes you smile all the time, and he makes your darkest days brighter. Well, I didn't find that very fascinating or even slightly interesting, so I looked up what we all know Cody as, Yak Boy. <laughs> two, two definitions for Yak Boy. Number one, a young man who resides in Pontiac, Michigan. <laughs> All right. Okay. Odd, oddly specific. <laughs> You're uh, saying there's more of my kind specifically in Pontiac, Pontiac Michigan. Michigan. Yes. So if, if, if you like your NBA team is going to play the Detroit Pistons, you're like, uh, we're heading over there to take on those Yak Boys tonight. Exactly. All right. I like it. And a second definition for Yak Boy, a lightweight who pukes at a party. And they use it in a sentence, man, Mike is such a yak boy. So even that's not too bad. You got I don't like that. that at all. That, that sullies what, to those of us who have been calling him yak boy or yaks for a long time now, that just sullies the real meaning of it. Uh, well, doctor, I'll, I'll do you next. <laughs> doctor, got two for you. The first definition on Urban Dictionary of doctor, a tired, overworked ex-visionary. Used in a sense, man, that doctor looks tired. Second definition, what your dad yells at you to be if you're Asian. Wow. <laughs> so then I was like, okay, well, we also call him Doc. So I, so I looked up Doc. Number First definition. Actually, I just had one on on this one. A friend that is your biggest liability, but your greatest asset. Example, Mitch Weldon got so hammered at Roger's 30th birthday last night. He threw Lisa Winks in the pool, but he bought everyone a tequila shot. He's such a doc. Yeah, you're, you're well balanced. Okay. okay. The, that's what uh, the kids would say. Uh, I looked up myself. Kids use weird things. Cade, number one. Again, look it up. I'm not making these up. First definition for Cade, number one. A being of pure sexual energy. And I'm out. In a sentence, use it in a sentence. They'd said, dang, that dude is a total Cade. (laughs) That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. All right. Well, that's they have another one. Uh, Here's the second Second definition. Again, I, sw- I swear you guys can pull it up. I'm not making this shit up. Cade is, a, I'm not. Cade is a very smart individual who's funny and kind. But not only that, he's also very attractive. And the more you get to know him, the more you love him. 
a Cade will also or will always keep a secret and respect your opinion. Any girl who gets a Cade is the luckiest and should never let him go. I swear to God, I didn't write that. Straight off Urban Dictionary. Uh, and then the third one I thought was kind of uh, odd. A Cade is a really chill, handsome guy who doesn't appeal sweet, appear sweet, but is a loyal, honest man. A Cade seems as if he is kind, generous, and he wears nice, casual clothes and is average height, 5'8 to 6'1". A Cade also seems as if he is low-key with the relationship, keeping it on the down so no one will know about it. A Cade is a man at heart, but is willing to give his heart to a girl, spoiling her each and every way. He's also a very social guy, as well as liking to fish. That's not true. I don't I don't like to fish. A Cade seems to have dark-colored hair, blue or light green eyes that see the future. I got blue eyes. There's no denying that. Oh, and then they use it in a sentence. See that man sitting next to the telephone pole? His name's Cade. He's really cool, handsome, cute, and he loves the ladies. Oh, my God. That's really odd. See? I, I, I told you I'm not making this shit up. <laughs> How the hell? No, you got to make this up. It- oh, this is written by pneumonia January 2018. Yeah. It's dated and timestamped. I didn't do this shit. That would be a pretty... <laughs> That'd be a pretty lame bit if I just made this shit up out of thin air. Dude, this is real this is real stuff. So then I let's get to our I don't want our, to know now. Love it. I looked up Tuttled. Tuttled. The act, tuttled. tuttled. The act of trying to call someone so many times that they literally will do anything at all costs to avoid you. You basically make them hate you because your constant barrage of phone calls is so overwhelming. This is most applicable in business, but could be used as an action verb with relationships. For example, two of them, the sales rep from Time Warner Cable has literally tuttled the heck out of me. Or I was interested in your product until you tuttled me to death. (laughs) So that's tuttled. And then I looked up tuttling. I saw it went to tuttling. Uh, Yeah. Tuttling. To act in a strange social manner characterized by awkwardness and a lack of dexterity with the ladies. Example. Example. Did you see that kid? He was tuttling around that chick with the huge knockers. (laughs) (laughs) What about, uh, what about Tuttle? Like just plain Tuttle. I, I did, I did look up Tuttle. I wasn't going to bring that up, but. Okay, again, this is not me, Tut. You can you can look for yourself. Uh, it, it's it's fine. Now Tuttle, I understand Tuttle, why all the kids are smirking as I walk down the hall. Tuttle actually, dude, this might explain some of your problems in school. Uh, Tuttle actually has four four different definitions. Number one, an ill-fated layered food dish. A Tuttle usually involves meat and bread layers, and may also contain an egg glaze. However, the primary defining characteristic of a Tuttle is that its various ingredients clash and it is always reluctantly consumed. <laughs> oh, here's the example. That's oh, true. Oh, man. That's true. Here's the example they gave. Oh, man, this spicy beef Tuttle is awful. Why do they put walnuts in it? <laughs> All right. So I was, like, I was like, oh, come on. I was like, there's got to be a better one for Tuttle than, for, than that. And then I found this one, number two. And 
An unexperienced sexual device that has yet to be used around the male private area. It can be found amongst many gay couples and has been hinted out has been hinted at to be a top buy from many stores. Used in a sentence, I've got a masculine dildo. It's commonly known as a tuttle. <laughs> I was like, hey, okay. Top buy. Top buy. Right here. You are a top buy. Uh, That's right. So then I'm like, all right, I, I can't keep coming at uh, with these. So I, I looked further. And then the third one they have, again, not my words. Tuttle, the act of holding open the asshole and purring inside of it. Dude, Riley totally let me tuttle her last night. (laughs) I did also did not. I also did not write the examples. These are straight. These are straight from the thing, man. So then I'm definitely. So then I'm like, I give up. Like, I'm just going to like try to skip over Tuttle. Maybe he won't ask about it. But then I'm like, all right, I'll give it one more chance. The fourth yeah. definition of Tuttle and final on uh, UrbanDictionary.com. Tuttle, a little brown shit stain left on the seat of your underpants after you accidentally shart yourself. Used in a sentence. Did you see that kid? He totally had a little Tuttle. Disgusting. <laughs> So if I were you, I, I'd, I'd ignore the shart one, and I, I would just go with the male dildo. I guess that's the best one. Or you could be oh that. Oh my god! You could be that awkward layered meat dish. What the fuck did I do to the universe? <laughs> and you're totally fucking right. See? Yeah. Uh, so I, I just thought that was fascinating, and uh, um. I don't. I don't know about you. You three, but I, I thought they. No, I like this. I like this version. It's it, it's a hippie. Dude, oh, I he stopped. plays disc golf, drinks beer, and doesn't like to shower. He's a tuttle. All right, we'll go. We'll go with that one. That's the one I'm going with. Damn it! I'm just. I'm just saying. Yak Boy's been calling you a male dildo for years, and now it makes sense. I was always kind of wondered where that was. No. Not me. It's funny. I thought Cody I'm was... fairly certain Urban Dictionary is a lot like, you know, you can just change it however you want to. Uh, you yeah, have a feeling you just you change feeling... it under Tut... assumed names. You have a feeling oh, I'm, Tut... fla- I'm flagging all of these posts. Tut, Tut the might be doing some revising in the morning. <laughs> I, I'm, pla- I'm flagging all of this. And I thought Cody was supposed to mean loyal friend. Hey, the nice thing was is that the hippie definition was supplied to us in 2011 by Fatty McCheeseburger. <laughs> Doctor, isn't that your online pseudonym? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> there's so much information for me to process right now. I'm having a difficult time with all of it. I thought, I thought you ordered your hookers under the name Fatty McCheeseburger. Or, that could have been somebody else. I'm certainly going to ask one of them if I can perform a tuttle. <laughs> I like how the first two words are the act of holding the asshole open. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hurrying into it. Well, it is a verb. It is a verb. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, Todd. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I did to the universe. I mean, come on. Yeah. And I certainly don't oh, think. Oh, there was that thing in Arizona. Okay, I get it. I get it. I, I, yeah, you're right. I get it. 
I certainly don't think you as you as a male dildo, but I know it stings to hear it out loud. I'm sorry. Uh, hey, speaking of people who uh, uh, yeah. can't touch, touch all flustered now. Uh, <laughs> speaking of people who can't take a joke, uh, did y'all hear about the stand up comedian who got a beer chugged at her and she uh, picked it up and chugged it? Oh, dude, real quick. It's glorious. Um, check the shit. Uh, it's from the New York Post. And I encourage everyone out there to go YouTube the video. It's just like 30 seconds yeah. long. It's so awesome. Uh, this was from October of 2022, but I just stumbled across it. Uh, Ariel, I don't want to screw this up, but I probably will. Ariel, E-L-I-A-S, Elias? Probably. Close enough. Ariel Elias is set at Uncle Vinny's Comedy Club in Point Pleasant Beach, New Jersey, descended into chaos Saturday night after an unidentified woman in the crowd started shouting about politics. Footage of the beer can attack, which had racked up 4 million views on Twitter as of Monday, shows the comedian asking the audience if they had any questions for her. Did you vote for Donald Trump? The woman could be heard shouting. The comedian joked, why would you ask me that, knowing I'm the only Jew in the room? Are you trying to get me killed? The female heckler continued to prod, asking if Elias had voted for President Joe Biden. If it makes you feel any better, I vote in New York. My vote doesn't matter there, guys. Everybody vote for whoever you want to vote for. I don't care who you voted for. I'm just so happy we're all here together, Elias responded. And the woman continued, so you voted for Biden? After the comedian asked why it mattered, the woman could be heard saying, I could just tell by your jokes you voted for Biden. A huge round of applause broke out when Elias hit back saying, well, I can tell by the fact you're still talking when nobody wants you to that you voted for Trump. Moments later, a man who was with the female heckler launched a beer can at Elias's head. The footage shows the can narrowly missing the comedian and splattering against the wall behind her. Audience members immediately erupted, shouting, oh, my God, and are you fucking kidding me? Meanwhile, a visibly shocked Elias could be seen reaching down, picking up the can, and downing the rest of it uh, as the crowd went nuts. At first, I was in shock. Did that really just happen, Elias told BuzzFeed News? And then I saw the beer can, and I was like, I mean, I have to drink this. Like, there's nothing else I can do with it. This is the only way to recover. I have to drink this. And, dude, she'd like a... Like me style, man. She's like, like stone cold. She just downs this fucking beer. So I just wanted to give her a little shout out. Way to go, Ariel. Yeah. Uh, you, I watched the video. You down that beer like a fucking champ. TNCC approved. We always tell, we always shit on people. We don't like what they're doing in the news. And we always, I want to tell this comedian, I have no idea if she's a funny comedian. I have no idea anything about this woman except. That's one of the best recovery moments from being heckled that I, I've seen. And it's always a female, a drunk chick heckling. Every time I, I come across where it's a heckler at a comedy club, it is always a drunk chick. It, and there's always some dude like, oh, Jesus. Like, uh, it's the same scene, but man, she's, she certainly handled it well. Um, so, boys, now to honor Ariel... Elias for putting that female heckler in her place to celebrate officially the end of dry January. I shall chug the shit out of this pint of beer 
in her honor. Let's celebrate, boys. Good night, sweet prince. Kate, um, Kate, hey, uh, uh, it, it's only January 26th. It, it, it's not even the, it's not even the end of the month. It's, we're nowhere near the end of dry January. <laughs> uh, those, those two things that confused me there. Do you vote I mean, for you're not done with dry January, but. Do you vote for Biden, Yaks? Because no. the way you the way you know so much about the calendar, it makes me think maybe you voted for Biden. I, I mean, I I looked at a calendar today, so I know the date. Uh, yeah, I guess it is still January. Shit, I made it this far. Uh, you're gonna have to start all over again. Well, a whole other month. Lunar eclipse. Uh, I don't think it works that way. Leap Lunar year, New Year. Maybe. It's the Lunar New Year. It's February in China. That's science. That's science. I know your kind isn't big on that, but uh, that's science. Pal. Exactly is my kind. Let's go back to the Urban Dictionary. See, let's look that up. No, no, no. Stay away from that. Doug's <laughs> begging you. For the love of God, I've looked at it and it's not pretty, X. It's and, not and pretty. It, you don't know what you're asking. To be honest, there was like 20 more Tuttle definitions, but I just couldn't go any further. Uh, we got a show to do, damn it. Uh, and th- those four were the best ones. Those were like the ones that went easy on him. Uh, anywho, uh, you guys ready to get this party started? Uh, it's already started. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, anytime, so anytime, motherfucker chugs a beer, it's party time. Woohoo! Tut's dancing. Look at everybody smiling. This is going to be a good night. Uh, Oh, and by the way, according to Urban Dictionary, a 169 is two people doing the 69 act while another one looks on. Well, another one tuttles. Another one stands in the corner (laughs) tuttling. Oh, and the the sentence they use it in, hey, Jim, want to do a 169? Sure, Molly. Let's go get Stephanie. <laughs> All right. Maybe we can get sponsored by UrbanDictionary.com. Please no. Please, please no. <laughs> uh, well, uh, folks, every episode we uh, smoke a premium cigar paired expertly with some alcoholic adult beverages that we hope are delicious. And then we uh, talk for eight years now. We've talked our way through a movie. We're we're still going to do that tonight. We've all watched a movie and we're going to talk a little about, but we're also going to kind of drift on a, on a sail of dreams through some other uh, cultural uh, pieces of entertainment that we've all kind of been soaking in since the last show. Oh, I can't do that. We don't own the rights. Uh, No, Uh, I thought you were going to do Christopher Cross's sailing and that would, he's very litigious. Don't even think about it. Um, so why don't I open things up by introducing the cigar so we can, uh, smoke it. All right, here we go. This, I really like the band on this, uh, which is getting the cigar we're about to smoke in quite a bit of legal trouble, actually, which I'll talk about here in a minute. The cigar is this. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what? I'll just say it right now. If if you're looking, if you're on YouTube staring at the screen, you can see the, uh, 
label there of the CAO BX3 by General Cigar Company. And what's that big thing in the middle of the label, Tut? The X. Yeah, guess who doesn't like that? Arturo Fuente. Generation X? No, Arturo Fuente. He says that Um, only the Opus X can have a big old X in the front of your cigar. No, there's no brand confusion with that. Well, you you think, because if you go into a humidor, you're not going to find Opus X for, you know, this price. It doesn't Uh, look like an Opus X. No, no, no. And it clearly says C-A-O-B-X-3 on it. Well, and CAO has had uh, the MX3, which was the Maduro X3. It's got a maybe a CX3 Cameroon. It's got uh, it's got other X cigars, but they just because they went big with the with the X there. Arturo Fuente uh, issued them a cease and desist letter. Uh, I, I wonder if uh, it's like CAO was like they were like saying, "Hey, put it right next to the Opus X." They'll never be able to tell the difference. <laughs> I wonder if Gene Simmons is going to send Arturo Fuente a cease and desist over the use of the X. Do it. <laughs> Doctor? Yes, Bryant used to do that every time he scored a touchdown for the Cowboys. Yeah. Doctor, you you can do Generation X. Yeah. But Doctor, speak going on that kiss theme, Doctor always puts the X in the sex. Yeah. Boy. Oh, I can't sing that because oh no, don't the Urban Dictionary. I'm just an ex visionary who's also contradictory in social situations. Oh, an ex visionary. Oh, see. Oh yeah. boy. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, boys, this is a five by fifty two robusto. Boy, it's kind of got a sweet cold draw there, doesn't it? Some sweetness. Yes. Yes, it does. The reason it's called the BX three is because. It has Brazilian tobacco, not only in the wrapper and the binder, but also in the filler. So three types of Brazilian tobacco. You've got a Brazilian Matafina, Matafina, uh, wrapper, Brazilian, Arapaho. Brazilian Arapa, Arapa, Rakaka. <laughs> Dude, how many years have I been trying to say that word? Arapiraca, Arapiraca, binder, Erica and, and then just some, uh, Brazilian Erica Strada tobaccos in the filler. Uh, with some Honduran, Mexican, and Nicaraguan tobacco to boot. So this is a four-country blend cigar that we're about to do. What did, what did you say that uh, the wrapper's out made of? Uh, Brazilian Matafina. Matafina? The binder is Brazilian Araparaca. Mm-hmm. And the filler was Brazilian uh, Poncharelli, Eric Estrada, <laughs> uh, Honduran, Honduran Gary Coleman, uh, Mexican Kirk Cameron and Nicaraguan Webster. Those eighties those TV references doing anything for you guys? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, wouldn't question it. Just Mr. Belvedere rapper. <laughs> I'm not you really know, sure. I, I want to meet a Mexican Kirk Cameron in the back of a, a <laughs> you know a, somewhere. That guy is not putting the X in the sex. No. And he's not. And to his credit, he's also not chugging any beers at stand-up comedians because he doesn't believe in comedy. That is that is true. He would never go to a comedy club. I don't know. I kind of laugh every time I see Max now, but you know. uh, yeah. <laughs> burn, Kurt Cameron, burn. <laughs> Todd came through with a with a subtle zing there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, those those left behind movies look look pretty terrible. Uh, so I will save the price point for later. It had a very sweet cold draw. Um, oh, I should tell you a little bit about Ed Lawman, uh, CAO's senior brand manager, issued this in a press release. Being trailblazers of tobacco is in CAO's DNA, and with BX3, we're continuing to to pilot the path. Our inspiration was the legendary X-Series, which had put our blending expertise on the map. With BX3, we set out to take the best of Brazilian tobacco and bring it to the next level. The easy thing to do would have been to make a Brazilian Puro. Our blending team went that route and felt like we were just dialing it in. So they kept at it, peppering in Nicaraguan, Honduran, and Mexican tobaccos in just the right proportions to add character, dimension, and layers to the smoke. We're really proud of the way the blend turned out. To us, BX3 is everything a Brazilian-centric smoke should be. Memorable, savory, thought-provoking, and it complements our portfolio beautifully. Man, uh, Ed Lawman certainly thinks highly of it. Uh, when I think about CAO and Brazilian tobaccos, my mind immediately goes to the Amazon Basin line of cigars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I reviewed the original Amazon Basin on our website back in 2016. You can check that out. And then we went on to feature the Amazon Basin Oralana uh back on episode 109. I think maybe really we did Am- that one. Amazon Women and the Avocado Jungle of Death, maybe. Yeah, I think that was it. If so, yes. Um, and we really like that. But get this, just last week when I decided we were gonna do this cigar, I was trying to get like a reference point in my palette for Brazilian tobaccos. In 2014, I bought a box of the original Amazon Basin. Cigar, oh wow, yeah. And I'd never opened it. I mean, I'd opened it to make sure there was no mold or anything when I bought it, but then it's, it's been sitting yeah. sleeping for eight years. So, uh, last weekend I cracked her open, got the crowbar, cracked open the box, lit it up. But that's, that's what you chose to center your palate. Well, to, to, to get myself reacquainted with, I didn't have any other Brazilian c- cigars featured Brazilian, uh, yeah. that but that kind of was the wrong thing to do because, man, eight years. I I like the Amazon base. I'd I'd smoked some before, just not out of this yeah. original box. Oh my god, eight years of age have done those things wonderful. It was such, which which you know that that kind of ruined me for you know I'm never gonna. <laughs> I can't go into a tobacco shop and grab Brazilian cigars. Gonna taste anything. All like other Bra- yeah, all other Brazilian cigars are trash now. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, it was awesome. Um, so maybe next yeah. time we're all together, maybe I'll, uh, I'll have to share one with you boys Ooh. because according, according to urban dictionary, I'm a kind sharing, decent human being. And I'll take it because according to urban dictionary, I'm just a shit stain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not purposely. You're, you're a result of a shark. <laughs> oh. Not even purposeful in being a shit stay. Yeah. You even kind of stumbled your way into that. <laughs> Anywho. Um, Is that a Michael Crichton book? The author of Jurassic Park. Didn't he write The Accidental Shit Stain? Uh, God, that was a spine-tingling thriller. Uh, uh, I believe they were going to make a movie out of that starring Kirk Cameron. <laughs> but he tries really, really hard to be a shit stain. There's nothing accidental about his shit. I just think it comes with the massive amount of talent to be a shit stain. 
You think Kirk Cameron has a massive amount of talent? Of being a shit stain, yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, I've never met the dude. I don't know. He might be all right for all I know. No, I don't think so. <laughs> His sister's pretty hot, though. Candace Cameron Bure? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know her? You know her last, her new last name? So, oh. of all the interesting things that I've watched, uh, the missus and I, we are, we are fans of murder mysteries and, and true crime and, and anything. And then at the end of a long day of work for her and at the end of a long day of studying and dealing with uh, little Tuttles over at uh, Texas State, I just want something mindless. I mean, just absolutely mindless. I thought that's and why so, you watched the, the Sweet Potato Pie Mysteries. Well, when we get when you get through with the, uh, the sewing mysteries or the, what was it, the Murder She Baked Mysteries. That's what it was. What do I see up there? A big old face of Candace Cameron. And I'm like, isn't that the Full House girl? She's got a whole series of murder mystery movies. There's like 12 of them, uh, apparently based off of some book. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we do. We, 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 we watch that and we're so happy to watch that. We, we love watching that. Every single night, we love watching so, Why behind Tut do I see a shadow of Tut's wife holding a gun off screen? We love watching these horrible movies. They are wonderful. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, this, BX, this BX3 has a wonderful aroma. Smell that, boys. Mm. Uh, do you guys get a, a real uh, not not full strength, but a real medium to full black pepper strength out through the nose. Uh, yeah, there's something across the palate that was like really blasting across the palate when I first lit up. I don't know what it was. It was get- really it was it was kind of like a a little bit of a bitterish, but but not like you know bitter. But it was I- it was it's a little bit bitter, almost like a just like a super strong bitter leather. I was gonna say I what I'm getting on the on the draw, I'm getting that black pepper through the nose. I'm getting uh a very uh strong I'm not Tut, instead of bright leather, are we going bitter leather? <laughs> hard leather. It's we're, hard leather. We're getting I'm getting a hard leather and then I'm getting a, a dry, a very dry almond kind of uh saddled up with that leather. Kind of a, a very dry, unsalted almond note. Um are you getting a little pine across that a retro hill? No, I'm just getting pepper right now. Chris pine? <laughs> like a like a bit of a pine saw. Hey, you know, the doctor pine mentioned... Pine saw mixed with cinnamon in The doctor mentioned Brazilian Eric Estrada earlier. Uh, his partner on chips was Chris Pine's father, correct? Yes. Or no, no, so. no, 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 no. His not it wasn't John, their their lieutenant. Yeah, the 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 lieutenant, their boss was Chris Pine's dad, Larry Pine, maybe. I believe so. Yes, it was Larry also in the seventy-seven classic movie Empire of the Ants. You know, I'll be honest, boys. That is one of those actors working today that I have just never. I don't get it. Chris Pine, Captain Kirk from the Star Trek movies. 
I don't, I don't see why that guy's in a, a movie star. He's kind of milk toast. I mean, to me, he's just a little bit better looking James Vanderbeek. I just, hey, to, to me, he's just not offensive. Like you could throw him in every role, and he's just not offensive in that role. You know, he's not going to turn you off, but he's just not going to give. Uh, uh, ouch! Not going to give you anything. Sorry, Chris Pine. I don't mind you as Captain Kirk. I actually like the Star Treks. So he's like a modern day Bruno Kirby. I mean, just <laughs> ouch. Hey, I like Bruno Kirby. Hey, but Chris Pine, I think, is coming out in the new Dungeons and Dragons movie. So indeed, he is. I will be looking forward to that. Well, actually, boys, as soon as we let Yak Boy introduce tonight's beers, I'm actually going to let you talk a little bit about Dungeons and Dragons. How about that? What? But first, we've introduced the cigar. We've talked about hard leather and nuts, uh, <laughs> which, by the way, is a, a name of a screenplay I'm working on right now. And I think, it's safe, to college? <laughs> I think it's safe to say Kirk Cameron will not be executive producing this feature film. But Candace Cameron might. Don't don't you tease me? Uh, no, she she believes in traditional marriage, and there's nothing traditional about what's going on in this movie. Yeah, uh, you you boys will love it. You boys will love it. Yeah. Uh, Yak boy, as the most handsome and knowledgeable bartender in all of Central Texas, and also uh, co-owner of O'Brien's Irish Pub in historic downtown Temple, Texas, could you please? Use your vast knowledge of craft, beer, and spirits to fill our lovable, loyal listeners and viewers in on whatever, what we're all enjoying tonight. And tonight we'll start, we never start with Tut. What's Tut drinking? Oh, he's actually got a good one. One of my favorites, the Temptress, the Salted Caramel Temptress from Lakewood Brewing out of wonderful Garland, Texas. Of course, I am whenever stopped seeing the praises of Delicious Temptress, but they also do uh, various, they, they try out new things with that formula. And this one is, like I said, the salted caramel. It does come across with that sweetness, just like the candy. Uh, <clears throat> the it's a, But it is still a Temptress, and it makes it a powerhouse, 9.1%. 56 IBUs. Ooh, look at that. Pours like motor oil. It is it is almost the equivalent of. It is delicious. Now, now Yaks, I've had the Temptress just they do just a, a straight Temptress, correct? No. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um is that an is that an IPA? Or is that a stout? No, it mm-hmm. is a stout. It it is an Imperial stout. An Imperial stout. Okay, I have uh, had that. Temptress is it, it technically it's a milk stout, so. Okay, uh, Tut, is that is it an artificial sweetness or does it taste very natural and subtle? It it tastes pretty natural and subtle. Subtle, like it's not. It doesn't hit you. It doesn't seem out of place. Um, it's kind of uh, milk stoutish in, in a ways. Uh, well, I guess that's because that's what it is. Uh, it is a milk stout. Hey, on that note, real quick, boys, are you getting cigar flavors from the cigar? Um, several that Eric Estrada tobacco really just <laughs> holds it all together. Yeah. Oh, you know, it. you know, it. uh, man, 
I have to think, Tut, that that would actually maybe, at least here in the early goings, pair really well with the cigar. Uh, the problem is, is because it, it, it's a bit strong. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's pushing the cigar a little bit, not, not manhandling it, not pushing it out of the way, but it's, it's got its shoulder into the cigar and it's shifting some flavors around. Does it have a salt and caramel aftertaste? Do you get any saltiness or caramel in it? Uh, man. The caramel, yes. It was, right? It was called the salty caramel. Yeah, yeah the caramel, definitely, yes. Uh, salt, not not so much. It's not, I wouldn't say it's salty. Uh, the caramel's pretty accurate. Okay. Hey, speaking of salty aftertaste, I was given a tuttle to this chick the other night. And, oh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, we'll talk about it later. Uh, anyway, I picked this tonight because of the combination of the fabulous and wonderful Eva LaRue. It is Ismin, the uh, the female uh, hero in uh, yes. tonight, tonight's movie. Yes. yes. Okay. You actually knew the actress's name. Why is that? You never know actors and actresses' names. Because I've looked. I had to look up a couple of things. I was trying to figure out like who who the hell this was in and where I've seen them before. I wouldn't uh, call her, dirt would, dirt watcher or whatever. Can't remember. Dirt uh, master. Ma- Michael dirt Barron, master. the, the yeah. dirt master. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll get to that, but. She wasn't a seductress in this film. She was kind of goofy and innocent. She never really. I seduced. know, but she's sexy and awesome. I didn't find her that sexy or awesome. Oh come on, man, doctor! I thought she was cute. She's oh, she was cute, cute gorgeous. She was, she was like twenty-one, twenty-two at the time of this film. So. Yeah, I'm totally. I'm all about it. Yeah. Yeah, she didn't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. She was no Sandhal Bergman. I was going to say Sandal Bergman reminded me of Giselle, the supermodel, but then I was like, no, she's actually kind of more reminds me of Tom Brady in a wig. She's kind of, <laughs> she's kind of, she's kind of manly in in Conan, wasn't she? A little uh, bit, yes. Yeah, I, I think oh, she's, Tom Brady in a wig was a bit hard. <laughs> it was very hard. Well, I, if I first I went to his wife, and then I was like, no, that's not a good comparison. Oh, uh, she looked more like her husband. <laughs> who's the uh who's the old dude, Lance? Um Hendrickson? Henderson's is Lance Hendrickson in her wig. That's who she is. Oh God. man. You're meaner than I am. God almighty. Ow. Just dude. living up to my urban dictionary status, dude, my dude, friend. Dude, Sa- Sondal Bergman's watching our show at home like that fucking male dildo. <laughs> <laughs> I was <laughs> Uh, uh, no, we'll I, always, I always felt Sanal is uh, she's a she's a very unique looking woman. Uh, uh, she was, but but her her sense of humor and charisma carried her through that just fine. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, okay, we'll let, we'll keep us posted if the the more you drink, maybe the the flavors kind of get muddled a little bit as you get drunk, and they may pair a little bit better. Yeah, that sounds um, good to me. But I can't think. But a little if you if you if it did have some saltiness. And sweetness. This, I would think, the cigar would kind of benefit from that because right now it's just that really, it's kind of a dry profile. It's kind of got that dry almond, that dry hard leather. Yeah, and the black pepper. Like, there's not a lot of subtle niceties going on here. And I'm and I'm cool with that. I I actually dig Brazilian tobacco. Uh, 
And so, yeah, I'm I, I'm fine with this. Okay. Um, yeah, boy, tell us what the doctor's drinking. The doctor is having the local blonde. Hey local now. blonde. Uh, the, oh, Texas the beer. beer company. Located in wonderful Taylor, Texas. Hey, Taylor, right Texas. down the road. That is uh, right outside of El Paso. Yes. No. No. It's where's just where, down? Where's Garland? Uh, that Tut's beer was from. Where's that at? Garland, up towards Dallas. Uh, yeah, up towards Dallas. Dallas. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's y'all's answer to everything I ask on this show. Hey, where's this? Uh, by Dallas. Dallas. Where's this? Dallas. That's up by Dallas. Large metropolitan area. There are many places that are near here. I, I honestly, I've spent far more time in South Texas than North Texas, so I'm not too familiar with North Texas stuff. Uh, tell us a little bit about the local blonde, yeah, boy. Uh, it is a 5.1%. Uh, is a, you know, uh, and it's basically listed as zero IBU. Of course, it is a, a, a lager, so I mean, it's supposed to come out light, crisp, refreshing. I don't know if it's going to be any of those things. We can only rely on the good doc to let us know. Doctor, doc- we, can, we can only hope and pray, doctor. Well, you remember in the movie Desperado and Steve Buscemi goes into the Mexican oh, no. bar to order a beer and Cheech says, all we have <laughs> is piss warm chango. And yeah. Uh, Didn't Tarantino later say this beer tastes like piss? He's like, because we pissed in it. Oh, that was the American tourist. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say it's outright piss, but I may have to tuttle somebody later to get the taste <laughs> out of my mouth. That bad, huh? It's you know what it's it, that's that's overly hard. <laughs> uh, I may tuttle someone anyway just to do it, so I can say I've done it. But uh, um, it's it's there, there's just there's just not unlike a good tuttling. There's just not much to this. Oh, uh, okay. That, that, yeah. And that, that's uh, a risk with, with loggers. Uh, boy, there's some people out there doing some innovative stuff, but then a logger can sometimes just taste like uh, a, a, a kind of really boring logger. But that, me, you're saying- I would like to pose a question to Yax because uh, now these have been in my refrigerator for a few hours, but what I was told when I picked this up at my uh, local confectionery shop. The guy was telling me, he said, these aren't going to be too cold right now. And he explained that there was some sort of, I wasn't really listening because I didn't really care, but (laughs) there was some sort of defense mechanism in the cooling system that when, when the temperature here dropped below 30 degrees, that somehow something shut off in his beer cooler have you ever heard of such a thing? Like we got, we got below freezing in the mornings and the night, in fact, it actually snowed not too far away. Uh, but it, he said something about, you know, again, I was really half-heartedly paying attention, but when it, when like the, the temperature outside got below 29 degrees, something turned off in his coolant system. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Yeah, but I mean, typically it's on like a heat pump. Okay. But I mean, a cooler typically doesn't run on a heat pump, but I mean, I do know a lot of uh, coolers are, or people that operate them are are switching out to using an actual AC that's converted. 
So if he used one that's a heat pump and it drops below something, it you know, the heat pumps don't work right when it gets too cold. Okay. But other than that, I don't know unless he's got like some sort of air exchange system, which would just suck in the cold air into his cooler. But that doesn't, he didn't say that. Doctor, yeah. I want Talking you to go. Talking about nerd talk, am I right? So I was trying to think up some excuse because it, it's, it's very, it's, it's very bland. Doctor, if you could go back to the confectionery tomorrow with Yaks on speakerphone, let's let's call this guy out. Let's get to the bottom of this. I am actually a fan of lagers. I want a cold, like cold, crisp lager, and I don't. I, I, it doesn't have to be any type of frou frou thrown in it. It doesn't have to be special or or a brand. Just a just a run of the mill, crisp, cold lager. That's clean. I, I think that's a beautiful thing. Then you might like this. A run of the mill would be one of the things I would use to describe. Well, no, I don't want it to. I don't want it to taste like piss. I mean, that's the. It, it the, doesn't. You, it you does. can't that do was, that. It, it does, and I just wanted to say piss warm Chango. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> we can say that for the last six or seven shows now. So it, no, it doesn't taste like piss. It's just it's very it's very uninspired. Hey, can it's we like, all just get, can we all just give the doctor a round of applause uh, for the third episode in a row? He didn't buy that Oberon Weed Ale. <laughs> and totally forget was, forget that I was, I was gonna text you sons of bitches with that again and go I've got the Oberon Weed Hill just, just for some laughs but I thought wonder what that. wonder what this one's all about dude you've had it every show for a year I actually looked back through <laughs> my phone of all the pictures I've taken of the beer cans to make sure this wasn't anywhere like in at least the last year and a half uh, well boys tonight I am drinking the Oberon Weed Ale uh Uh-oh. No, no. Oops on you. Uh, Yak boy, what am I? What am I drinking here? This is actually a very. I, I've got a little something to say about my the brewery here that I'm doing, but uh, lay it on us, Yaks. Oh wait, I'm sorry. Hey. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Doctor. Was there any thought as far as tonight's film, or uh, or did you just did you just grab a light beer that you thought might go down easy? I'm going to have to go with the latter on that one. Although there are, there is an attractive blonde in this Richard, movie. Yeah, Richard Lynch. Richard Lynch. No, the woman playing uh, Canary. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yes. yes. I, I'd be lying if I didn't say Richard Lynch doesn't possess a certain magnetism about him. But no, Canary. Although okay. I doubt she's from Texas. Uh, no, it's a, uh, I've been forced uh, by my professional responsibilities to actually go into a place of work this week. Uh, so it was a, a the the light five point one alcohol that Yaks mentioned uh, was really the main selling point here. Uh, I'll be letting my hair down over the weekend. Well, hey, uh, you got to go into the office. Those uh, sex change operations aren't going to perform themselves. Uh, you're you're doing the God's work out there. I don't care what Kirk Cameron. I don't care what I don't care what Kirk Cameron says. You're doing good stuff, Doc. Not a patient of mine. I, uh, well, I'm sorry, Yaks. What what the hell am I drinking here? You are having the Tex Hex from Shiner Brewing. This is the third variation of the Tex Hex. Uh, they've done two IPAs, which I have love both of them, but this is brand new and it's a little yeah. different, Yaks. They are it's really trying to come across as a craft brew. The Twin Dream Double IPA. Twin uh, Twin Dream, you said, yes? Yes, I did indeed say Twin Dream. As in Twin Barbarian Brothers? 
Now you're dreaming. Spoken like a creature of sexual energy. Uh, this is Shiner's first attempt at a double IPA. Well, and I, I mean, they have all the stats, which I'm curious about. It says it's nine and a half percent. It's 80 IBUs. Is it 80 IBUs? It's pretty damn bitter, Yaks. Oh, I'd love to hear that. It is pretty damn bitter. And that is why I wanted to bring up those other IPAs from Shiner. As a Texas boy, Shiner's been around forever. 1909. I, I've tried. I have tried since high school to get behind the Shiner, uh, you know, hometown brew, home state brew. I drank, I've drank my share of Shiners, uh, hundreds probably over the years. Never a fan. I've tried the Shiner Black, the Shiner Christmas Ales, the Shiner Blondes. Well, you know, we uh, really did like the Oktoberfest. <laughs> So much that we drank it a few Octobers in a row without realizing we never had it. This beer is so perfect. I can't figure it out. Why does this beer? Wait, isn't this what we drank? Oh. I guess. And I guess your excuse is it was a year apart, and with me, it was about three weeks. So that, that's how did I forget about this? Oh wait, wait but action. dude, uh, the only one that I I actually kind of enjoyed over the years was the Ruby Red Grapefruit Beer. Just. When it was so fucking hot in the summer, it was like 120. And uh, that's true. Yeah. And I would grill, I was grilling or something, or I was just outside. Like it was just refreshing. It, it was almost like a Gatorade. Uh, but these IPAs, these Tex Hex IPAs that they started about a year ago are phenomenal flavored IPA. I mean, they're great flavor. I finally have Shiner beer that I like. And so when I saw that they just came out with the double IPA, the twin, much like the stars of tonight's film, I, I I was so excited. And man, it is bitter. And I haven't said that about an IPA in quite some time because they're all going to tell you that they're they're bitter. But uh, yeah. yeah, this this thing's fucking this thing's got some bite without what? without without being unpleasant in the slightest because the back end uh, it definitely has a little because it's hard to recover from that bitterness on the front but then at the end you you do get a, a little bit of uh citrus and a, a little bit smoother flavors but hey man after dry january i, I haven't had a beer in forever uh this tastes all right look it's actually a thing look uh, I have a question. The, yeah yes uh, doctor um it has nothing to do with dry January because I find the entire concept ludicrous to the point of insanity. But uh, really they're not, was there not, uh, because I saw those, the Shiner IPAs uh, in my local greengrocer, was there not one before this double IPA? Wasn't there, wasn't there a regular 7% IPA that you thought was really the bee's knees? Yeah, it is also a Tex Hex. What, uh, what, what was the, was it just a Tex Hex regular IPA? They've all got this chick in some form or another with fire coming out of her eyeballs on it. You can't miss it. If it's got, if it's got the, if it actually, if it's a Shiner IPA, you can't go wrong. I saw, I saw the three of them, but I remembered this was before tonight's show. It was a couple weeks ago. And I remembered you had mentioned there was one that you were very fond of, but I, I couldn't remember exactly what it was. Uh, the hazy is not as good as just their straight IPA. Okay. 
just the regular IPA is phenomenal. And the hazy is not bad at all. Uh, this double is, uh, would you say, yeah, it's nine something percent? Nine and a half percent. And, boys, not only does it pair as far as the twins go, but we are smoking the BX3, B Brazilian times three. Mm-hmm. We've started a movie with the Barbarian Brothers, B yeah. squared, and that sexy mama with the fire eyes on the can. She actually, they've given a little bit of mythology here too at Shiner. It says, in the treacherous heart of the Texas desert, a dark shaman, ro- shaman, shaman or shaman? Shaman. I've heard it shaman. both ways. Roams the land. Locals call her La Bruja, the alchemist. Her shadow Bruja. wanders the moonlight, gathering ingredients for her otherworldly creations. Brewed with fire, magic, and sin, hers are only for the worthy. <laughs> the ones, the ones called by the wind. That's some Damn. Steve, that's some Steve Saka leveled writing right there. <laughs> I'm going to cuddle her good. Oh, yes. I like it. <laughs> that shit's nuts. Yeah, I kind of want to tuttle her too. I, you want to tuttle La Bruja? <laughs> Tonight's episode, ladies and gentlemen, is brought to you by the letter B. <laughs> um, and so yeah. Django. Piss warm Django. <laughs> uh, well, that only leaves yourself, Yak Boy. What the hell are you drinking? I, from the Never Had It Before, Rough Tail Brewing, located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Couldn't pass it up. Migrating coconuts. Okay. Saw it, and it immediately made me think about the movie in the one sense that our heroes wander aimlessly without ever actually doing anything. They're on a grand Mm -hmm. epic quest. Mm -hmm. And it basically, but it, it it made me think of that. It is a, a imperial porter, seven point eight percent. It's very low. It has about uh, about ten IBUs. They say so. Yes, very low. And I was just like, you know, but when I saw it, I was like, the little can art is wonderful. It's got a little sparrow, got a little coconut. You can't really tell here. It's kind of hard. But around the coconut, like a little thing like around Saturn, there's a lot of little math equations, which <laughs> is the airspeed was the equations for airspeed velocity. Yax, you just described the most you just described the most convoluted beer can artwork ever. A coconut. I know it's amazing. I, I it's a coconut. I laughed in the store when I saw this. I mean, I literally laughed. It's like, a coconut. Followed a brouhaha demon shaman with fire coming out of her eyes. I thought about getting the beer featuring the coconut with a sparrow on it, with Saturn rings and some mathematical equations going around. It's like, dude, these beer companies—they got to stop. It's just getting out of. It's it's like getting out of hand. You're telling me that coconuts are migratory. <laughs> is it good? It actually is. It is. Uh, it is a porter, but it has. Uh, obviously does have some coconut flavoring, but uh, a lot of uh, it's, it's got a good hint of vanilla in the background. The sweetness at first, I thought I was going to be a little overpowering, but, you know, palate got used to it. And it works really well with this cigar, in my opinion. I'm liking the two contrast. 
okay. the way, what what makes a what makes a, a style of beer an imperial? Uh, typically, I keep, I keep hearing that. Isn't it just a uh, higher? Isn't a higher ABV? Typically, yes. Okay. So I mean, you're you know, so you say imperial and or double. So, so this a is double IPA is an imperial IPA, and like an imperial stout is just. They they don't typically say a double stout. They say imperial stout. And yes. in place of that, it, it sounds better, I guess. Yeah. But it yeah. does, yes, it is a it is a higher. Typically, anything over seven percent becomes an imperial. Typically, huh. okay. Yax, uh, you remember back in Thank the you early. Thank you for the knowledge. You are welcome. You remember back in the early days of IPAs, Yax, when you, well, you. I'll give you credit where credits due. You introduced me to them because uh, I, I I wasn't drinking beer. Um, I'd fallen out of love with the lazy loggers and the uh, wimpy weed ales. And I just, I just was drinking bourbon and other stuff. And you were like, I think you're like these. And Wake remember, palate. remember how we used to joke, like we want our taste buds singed from the bitterness on our IPAs. Oh yes. Like, it's not a good beer unless our, our, our taste buds are totally fucking wrecked for days. Yes. This, yes. I do. This motherfucker is closest thing i've had to that in quite some time i've I'm had, some, have to I've had three some cases tomorrow i've had some triple ipas that don't come anywhere near yeah high abv but nowhere near this that 80 might be an understatement it might be i've had some beers that claim to be 110 ibus that don't come close to to singeing the the taste buds like this one uh man if that's if you're looking to wake wake your palate the fuck up this, and this then guy. destroy it. Yeah. Hey, wake up, palate. You're not going to be able to taste for three days. Do you need well, you, a to get you going in the morning? Hey, you haven't had my wife's cooking. Oh, oh. Uh, I can't do a Rodney Dangerfield voice, so I went to Dice. <laughs> need your taste buds destroyed after a long night of tuddling the missus. This is what you want. <laughs> She's, she's like, she's like, are you sure you're okay back there? I'm fine. I had, uh, I had a sixer of uh, Tex Hex doubles last night. I, I can't taste a thing. <laughs> you softly purr. Softly. You get the fuck out with your aggressive purring. After a sixer, the Tex Hex, I can tuddle all night. Ah. Uh. This is a total all that. Oh yeah. This is a Van oh, wait, Gogh sorry. act. Sorry, Gene. Sorry. This is a Van Gogh act of tuttling. Get the fuck out with your Jackson Pollock nonsense. This is gentle, <laughs> subtle stuff. Uh okay. That's, well that's the Pollock. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just see where it goes. Uh I'm done. I'm done. Speaking of ta- speaking of speaking of tasty cigars. Uh by the way, Tut, I'm I'm about a third into this. Sorry, Tut. Um, it's okay. It's all right. Oh, for a minute there. For a minute there, you had the band turn the wrong way. I thought you were already on another cigar. <laughs> I didn't recognize. Them. Are are you I, I'm still getting leather. I am actually getting like a coffee grounds kind of again, another kind of not harsh, but you mix hard leather, 
uh, dry almonds and coffee grounds. It's like I'm and a very bitter beer and black pepper through the nose. I I can't help but think that maybe the sweetness in y'all's beers might be helping you hopefully out a little bit. Uh, it's a it's it's a fine cigar, but I, I just I'm looking for anything a little a little softer and a little bit more balanced. Right now the cigar is right now the cigar is no balance for me. It's all kind of uh you talking about that's the that's the note. It's it's a sharp cigar and it's, it's all sharp it's, edged, it's a very sharp edged flavored cigar. And it's beautiful. You've got the you've got the those ground coffee uh it's definitely there. The pepper coming through that retro hell is beautiful. Uh, it's got a little bit of a nuttiness to it on the back end of the palate after you do the retro hell. I mean, they're what's wrong with this cigar? Nothing. You're digging it. It is. Man, Tut is a fan of the BX3. What about you, Yags? I am liking it very much. Okay. I'm not disliking it, by the way. I just, I kind of wish. uh, Get your cream out of here. This is nothing but need to be just an elbow of flavor to the mouth. Ain't no tuddling. This cigar is not tuddling. It's not softly purring at you. No, but uh, having not drank beers for a long time, I did just tuddle in my pants. <laughs> Damn it. Sorry. <laughs> I gambled and lost. I thought I could squeeze a little one out. Nobody would know and here we are. Nobody uh, wouldn't know unless you told us, and you did tell us. Well, it's not like anybody's listening. Oh, shit. Oh, right. By the, this way, giant- by the way, you used it wrong. You used it as a verb in that sense, and it's actually a noun. <laughs> oh, wait. This giant silver tuttle sitting in front of my face. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of tasty cigars, I'm glad you boys are enjoying it. You know who makes some damn fine ones, Todd? Our friends at Drew Estate, who the universe doesn't hate, the universe loves Drew Estate, as they, should you. They sure, they sure as hell do. Uh, and they have a new stick out right now that y'all will definitely want to get your hands on. Dark, bold, and unapologetic. The blackened cigar M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, darkest, and heaviest depths. Oh, look at they're not just a sponsor. I buy these. Oh, I want one. <laughs> Actually, you brought me, you you gave me one the other day. I, I, I'd like another one. Uh, it's an intense journey into uncharted, deepest, darkest, and the heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. Check this shit out, y'all. A masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, makers of the Black and Whiskey, and Drew State's Jonathan Drew. Hetfield, Dietrich, and Drew. The All Maduro Black and Cigar M81 by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for both life celebrations and times of reflection. I got to admit, I'm not a I'm not a guy who often is impressed by marketing or uh, it just seems like people do the same shit for to promote their stuff, same type of videos, same type of edits and all that. But seeing the Drew State video where JD is sitting there with James Hetfield of Metallica 
and uh, the Rob Dietrich guy, and they've got their M81 cigars and Headfield. He's he's not a poser. He's you see him just puffing away on this thing, and I actually when I smoked it, it's a fucking good cigar. Yeah, I actually thought the same thing. Uh, I actually I haven't seen the video. I just saw the cigar was like, what's this? And they're like, Oh, it's a, you know, a, a combo between Heffield. And, and I was just like, I'm tired of celebrity pairing cigars, but it's Drew Estate. So I was like, yeah, yeah. Give me that. And I was like, holy crap, this is legit. It's not, it's not a gimmick cigar. It's not like, woo. No, all... legit. Nice cigar. And what's cool is it's not like nothing else matters. Metallica. It's probably the lightning Metallica. This this thing's got some kick. It's nice. Uh, well, technically, Todd, it's Injustice for All Metallica. Uh, Blackened opened up the album track number one, their their last great album. But I, I'm not. I don't want to piss off our sponsors. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's just say the Black album probably is Kirk Cameron's favorite Metallica album. Uh, I like the Black album. It sold millions and billions of copies. It's fine. Hey, Having said that, uh, to do an all Maduro cigar blend, only somebody like Willie Herrera, uh, master blender of state hats off to our friend Willie, because man, that thing you, I find with it, I've had two, you gave me one. And then I had one that when they said the mystery sticks, yeah, uh, their freestyle live event. And it, by the way, a little bit of age did it wonders. I liked the, the release version a lot better than the pre-release version. Um, man, I find if you smoke it slower, don't, if you smoke it too fast, it gets a little hot, but, uh, boy, there's some nuances there that it's not just beating you over the head, uh, you know, master of puppet style. It's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a good smoke. And I, as a kid who grew up listening to Metallica and, uh, I, I think it's cool that our headline sponsor drew state, I mean, who else is going to collaborate with Metallica? It's gotta be drew state. And that's one thing I, I mean, I, I, you know what I was about to say? I don't want to sing the praises, but yeah, I will sing the praises of Willie Herrera. And it's one of the reasons why as a master blender, this dude just keeps continuing to impress me is that you got a lot of master blenders that only blend to their palate. And they're like, this is the cigar I've liked. And that's, I'm, I'm just blending this stuff. Well, yeah. Well, how about something that's out of your palate? Can you blend something that's out of your palate? and maintain the consistency of that flavor for over a decade. And, and that's what Willie is, is starting to do. I mean, he does an entire range from the acid line to the M81, and it's just amazing how this guy can blend consistency and just keep on this thing and keep the trajectory of all these different, just weirdly associated brands on their individual paths. It's very yeah. impressive. It is very impressive. Um, and you know, Willie, Willie, we had him on the show. I believe our, uh, what was the Miami connection episode? Uh, mm-hmm. I think we drank, we drank some rum and, uh, we talked to Willie and I'd actually like to get him back on the show this year. Uh, talk about the, the M81, talk about the phenomenal stuff he's doing with that H99 tobacco. Oh. I, I think uh I think it'd be fun to to get Willie. It's been a while, and I, I'd like yeah, to. Yeah, the problem is, is you risk me just going fanboy. I mean, just you know, uh, well, he is the, he is the Eric Estrada of the uh, tobacco blending world. I think that's safe to say. He's a good looking man, and I say that with a somewhat 
solid heterosexual. I've seen Cobra. I've seen Cobra. I think you're right. Or King Cobra. I, th- I think you're right. <laughs> uh, Doctor, that was a movie that we watched uh, on, on the show uh, years ago uh, where Eric Estrada faced a, a killer King Cobra. I, I remember. So that was all the yeah. ingredients of a masterpiece. Uh yeah so uh so yeah maybe we'll get Willie on the show this year and uh and touch base with him I have a question for Willie that I've never heard anybody ask him before what's that think of all the new companies that have come out since Drew Estate and they've all done this kind of cigar and as I'm pretty well versed in the history of our headline sponsor Drew Estate. Drew Estate has never, as far as I can tell, in their in their you know twenty plus years, released a barber pole cigar. Two different rappers. Uh, dude, a barber every, pole. Everybody's got a barber pole. Like the they've done like the swamp thing or whatever, where you got two two different two, layers. Yeah, but that but was that's not, not barber pole. No, in the pappy they've got a a, a yeah. two a two wrapper, but they've never actually done a, a barber pole cigar. I want and Willie would be the guy to ask like. Have you have you toyed with that concept? Is there anything you're working like? Uh, I think I might sound kind of smart asking about that. I'd be like the Dan Rather of cigar media. Uh, Dan Rather, by the way, a fellow graduate of Sam Houston State University, like myself. Oh, he's a, a fellow Cade. He is a fellow Cade. He's always seems to be doing pretty good with the ladies. Uh, Tut, I believe, uh, Maury Povich, uh, spent a semester at Texas State where you're at now. Just uh, tuddling the hell out of that campus. Uh, that, that's where he started tuddling Connie Chung, if I'm right. Uh, dear God. Uh, hey, she was quite a, she was quite a looker back in the day, wasn't she? Uh, How did we get here? How are we talking about tuddling poor Connie Chung? <laughs> The dirty Anyhow. job, but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> it's a dirty job. The next segment of the show, I like to, I, we've only done it once. I like to refer to it as the fire pit because <laughs> uh, it reminds me of uh, sitting around the fire pit uh, at Yak Boy's house where we just kind of talk about whatever we're digging these days and kind of getting into stuff. And, but before I do that, uh, I'm a little over the halfway mark in this cigar. Um, I am as well. And uh, so far, like I said, espresso or not espresso. That was the, the Metallica cigar. Uh, just kind of a, a really dry coffee grounds with some dry almonds, uh, some dry hard leather and that black dry black pepper. I'm using the word dry a lot because. Yeah, yes, it's, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a very, uh, strength forward which you know is the brazilian um i guess characteristics of it but i I thought maybe at least with the honduran it would it would temper it a little bit maybe give it a little bit of uh you know some of my favorite honduran cigars are the old room 101 stuff which had that really characteristic honduran tobacco i'm not i'm not getting a lot of that here i'm just getting those those kind of i'm not going to say harsh because they're not harsh they're just they're just very pronounced and distinct and I, some reason, my mind goes to dry, but that sounds negative, but it's not. It, 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 but it's no, defi- it, it, it definitely does have like a, a, a it sounds weird, dry mouthfeel to the whole thing. 
And I'm cool with that. I love those types of cigars. I, I, I like the, I like dry flavors. There's, there's, there's room in my palate for that. Uh, is it my everyday smoke? No, but I mean, that's one thing that I do like the, the curveball that Brazil throws at you. Uh, okay. Yeah. So you enjoying it? I am very much enjoying it. I have to agree with you. I mean, with the beer that I have, like I said, it has this, this porter has that sweetness, coconut, the, the vanilla. And that I think for me anyways, it's kind of balancing it out. I mean, otherwise I think the cigar would just that strength factor that you mentioned. I, because those, those flavors are pronounced and they are that they're just kind of like, you know, they kind of just hit you, you know, like when you lighted it up, I mean, that, that pepper note just blew right in and I was like, all right, but I think with this beer, it kind of, it's, it's strong enough because it's a porter. It, it has brought it down. And man, I, I, I think you made a very wise pairing with your sparrow riding a coconut surrounded by Saturn rings and mathematical equations. Somehow you saw something in that beer. Uh, my beer is very dry and bitter. So it's, it's, it's just giving me more of what the cigar is. Um, I, I think you might win the pairing of the night. Uh, yeah, boy. Uh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll check back in here in a little bit before it, uh, finishes out. Maybe it'll give us a, a curveball in the final third. Um, so when I asked you boys what you've been watching lately, there was a common theme among Tut and Yak Boy, and that's D&D. Dungeons and Dragons! Or Dungeons and Dragons to all you people out there who had girlfriends in high school. Uh, before we proceed, <laughs> uh, please remember, guys, this shows a judgment-free zone, so let's all be respectful. Uh, oh. I, I guess I just blew that with my introduction to Dungeons and Dragons. Millions uh, of people are watching this show. Millions of people. Tut's out there watching D&D YouTube videos. He's playing D&D at his local cigar shop every Friday night. I'll give them a little shout out. Uh, Creekside Cigars in Belton, Texas. They uh, are, are gracious enough to host uh, Tut and his uh, friends to play Dungeons and Dragons there every Friday. Oh my gosh. And they're, they're way more than that. They have bourbon nights. They have poker nights. I mean, this place is hopping. Go, go. If you're ever in the central Texas area, go visit Creekside, tell them, Hey, tell them the Tuesday night cigar club sent you. And it's, it's a really cool place. I will say this. What the couple who bought, who started Creekside, there are so many cigar lounges that open up. I'm not naming names, but I've been to them. And they think if you just have a humidor with some cigars and some chairs and a television, you're doing something that's going to draw people in. And that's not going to draw any people in. You have to think outside the box you have to do things that welcome in people from all interests and all that and give them a home. And I haven't, I haven't seen a place do what Creekside has done in such a short amount of time. They've been open less than a year. Yeah. And not only are they a huge supporter of Texas based black label uh, trading company cigars, Blackwork Studio, who we love, get, they get them in there for events. They get all their newest stuff. 
They also feature uh, a well-rounded humidor. They got some Saka stuff. Um, they not only do they have some good cigars, unlike a lot of the places I've been, which kind of just carry the the stuff that a, a rando noob uh, Baca Sussy would look into when they go into the humidor. Sorry if I'm losing. Sussy Baca. Sussy Baca. What did I say? A Baca Sussy. Yeah. Uh, but no, but they've also, you know, gotten people in there. They have every week, they have a poker night. They got a big wrestling like championship belt for the poker winner every week. They got a bourbon tasting where the bar is just covered. Oh, in, it is just nuts in there. On it's bourbon a bourbon night. chair where people just bring yeah. their bourbons. And then they welcome in these D and D nerds every Friday night. Sorry, Todd. Uh, they got, they got a million different little rooms to where if you don't want to pretend like you're a wizard or you don't, play poker you can go into a comfortable couch and watch the game and not be bothered by all that nonsense it's it's a it's a big expansive space right in the heart of uh, belton texas so there's your free commercial for creekside cigar lounge and they're worth it they're they're nice folks and they know what they're doing and they're not afraid to you know make themselves a part of the community and and really they they to use a poker term they went all in on this thing and it shows they're, they're succeeding and it makes me very happy. Um, so I agree. I agree. good on them. Um, then Not to mention, I, dri- I drive like an hour just to go to there and I have yeah. a locker there. So, I mean, it, it's a fun place to be. And Todd actually gave me the combination to his locker. I haven't used it yet, but. Uh, Is that worth my bottle of? Okay. Moving on. Uh I'm no sussy baka. Uh, <laughs> you guys also, when I asked you what you guys have been up to, both Yak Boy and Tut are watching something called Vox Machina over on Amazon Prime. Did I pronounce that right? The legend of Vox Machina. Uh, fun fact, real quick. I looked up D&D on Urban Dictionary, and apparently it means dick and dinner. As in, here was their sentence. Yo, Shorty, you down for some D&D tonight? Little dick and dinner. Dude, nobody talks like this. I used it tonight. Nobody talks like that. Yak boy, can I sleep at your place? <laughs> Look, you can just you can disparage my name all you want, but don't disparage D and D. Well, let's wait till after the OGL controversy okay, uh, and wait, then. You know, the good. fact that both you boys have been have been watching stuff about this, and actually, Yak boy came out to the corner of no hope last week. And he actually, when I mentioned that I wanted to come to Creekside cigars and, and, and just kind of observe Tut playing D and D he was like, you should really check out this Vox Machina show because it's kind of shows you what the players in their heads are visualizing they're doing. that they're doing, think they're doing while they're playing. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm never going to do that, but thanks for telling me. Um, <laughs> So Dungeons and Dragons has never been more popular, uh, beginning with its resurgence via the Netflix show Stranger Things. It's everywhere now with the Tuttles. Uh, sorry, male dildos. Uh, it's just coming out of the woodwork, uh, to cast spells and storm castles everywhere. Is that, is that what you guys do in make believe land? Do you think you're storming castles? Fuck and- yeah. Okay. Yes. We're not, we Absolutely. don't think we are. We're storming right. fucking castles. Well, listen, Tut. I honestly know very little about this world. If you don't mind, very, very 
quickly and succinctly, if you could explain what the game is, why it's fun, and what all these ancillary things you've been watching that revolve around it are, that would be awesome. Because I don't understand oh, it. Cade, you sussy baka. You can't <laughs> describe D&D in very succinctly. And hold on I, now, Cade's not, not just Cade's not a, just a Chewbacca. So am I. I don't know anything about D&D either, although I am going to offer it to the next person I ask to take out to dinner. <laughs> I'm, giving you, I'm giving you a small window here to, to tell us why it's so awesome. Uh, man, you're talking about a game that was started back in the 1970s by Gary Gynax. Uh, it's, it's, it's nerddom. I mean, it's a hundred percent nerddom that is awesome. You, you basically role play, you create a character. There's a whole bunch of uh, classes to it and you pretend you get together. It's, it, and in the essence, you're boiling down to you're telling a story. It's a collaborative storytelling event between the people there at their at their table. It's no different than than a band that gets together and makes music. These nerds are telling stories at a table, and they're all riffing off of each other, just like musicians rip off of each other. It's a creative process. And so, you know, I understand all the negative connotations with it, especially in the 80s when everybody thought that D&D was the devil's game and you are worshiping the devil if you play because that's how fucking righteous the D&D nerds are. It's just... It's just a it's just a cool thing, and it was one of the things that you know I played like in high school, early college, kind of fell out of with. And then Stranger Things brought it back, and then this group named Critical Role. Uh, they are a group of voice actors in Hollywood, and they're just a bunch of nerds that wanted to play D and D. And so way back, they started uh, videotaping them or videotaping them. Uh, live streaming them what playing D D and it's just voice actors so they're really good at the voices and stuff it was just really cool to see these actors doing D D on it well here's and what that's I, what i'm sorry here's what i found interesting when you just said that and it it's a two-part question so these voice actors are doing these YouTube videos where they basically like you watch guys play poker on YouTube. They're watching yeah. you. They're watching them play Dungeons and Dragons, but they're yeah. obviously very into it and very animated with their voices. Yeah. First part. First question. Do you, I don't know if I want to know. I don't do the voice. I don't, do you guys I don't do? Do, do you guys do like mystical magic voices at the cigar lounge? <laughs> one, one guy does. One guy does. Have you ever accidentally slipped into a, a wizard voice or like another voice and be like, I cast you, you know, you ever like all my, nah, all my man, wizard voices sound like. No, nah, man, but every now and then I try to do a little McConaughey when I throw it in there. Yeah, that's what that's the first voice I think of when I think of Merlin and. and uh... All right, I'm going to cast a spell on you real quick. That's yeah. right. Hey. Hey, you know. It's a, you got a my, healing spell there? Keep on throwing spears. Just keep on throwing. Just keep on fireballing. F-I-R-E-B-A-L-L-I-N. What might be a magical wand to one might be hopes and dreams to someone oh, else. Oh, my wand's magical, all Whatever. right. <laughs> Does your uh, barbarians ride around in a Lincoln Mercury? <laughs> <laughs> And again, it's I'm just, not, it's, 
It's Stay fun. Here in the ice palace rather than listen to some dipshit doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> it's fun, and for me, I have found it's weird because they're they're all ex-military. Uh, the players I play with, and it's just really cool. Just one, I get to smoke cigars. I get to drink beer and drink bourbon. Uh, there were actually a bourbon club that just decided to play D and D one night, and they were like, "Oh crap, we actually like this." And man, it's perfect. It's D and D, cigars, bourbon, beer. How? Do I you, mean, what can go wrong? Do you, do you feel like after on a Friday night after a long week of school and you know normal day, the grind that it's and a, a form of escapism where for three four hours you literally don't think about anything that's bugging you yeah. in your in your normal life and you just kind of escape into it's like jumping into a video game where you're you know solving puzzles trying to run a touchdown i mean it's so different well, than fucking xbox it's obviously come a long way because when you send me pictures uh if you folks check out our instagram stories frequently you'll see on friday nights tuttle send me some some pictures and i'll share them it's come a long way since the 80s because you guys all have your laptops open like yeah, it's yeah. very but it, but then in between you you've got the little castles and the little yeah. little rivers running down the table like i mean it's well if because if we do have any D nerds out there that are hardcore followers i need to establish some street cred right now a lot of the things that are good it's it's kind of D D world's up in the air because the corporation that owns it is trying to rescind what's called the ogl the open game license the open game license is why we have what we're watching or what Yaks and I are watching right now, The Legend of Vox Machina. The opening game license is, yeah, you can take this IP and you can do, you can write your own stories, you can do your own content, as long as you're not infringing on our characters and specific spell names. It's very liberal. But now what it has, bro, the parent company is trying to do is like, all right, all you third-party creators out there like Stranger Things, critical role you need to start coughing up some royalties because we're we are we are doing away with the ogl so basically basically they want youtube dollars uh the the dollars that youtubers are making videotaping them playing D &D. hasbro is like share the love yeah it's like the nfl saying oh you posted a video of your high school football team we want money we want that royalty and so D&D world is just up at arms right now and they're mass boycotting. But without, without real quick, doctor, without the YouTubers and stranger things, we wouldn't be talking about D&D more than likely. No, you wouldn't. There would be but, no box mocking. You it's got free. your heart. You got your hardcore players and the people come around to it, but it's free advertising. You're supposed to find about, it? I mean, there's very few stores unless you're in a major city or unless you're going to get online and go look and search for it, you're not really going to come in contact with it. Yeah, yeah to be honest, D&D for me was reborn with Stranger Things. Without Stranger Things, I wouldn't have gone back to D&D. It would have just been something that I did in the 80s. And that whole movie just got me, you know, romanticizing playing it. And then I, I just said, fuck it, let's go play it. And then it kind of like reignited that fire. Without that third-party content, D&D is a dead property. Doctor, you know what else got re-energized through Stranger Things? Kate Bush is running up that hill. God. Running up that hill. Uh, 
There was a time Doc, on the you show. Had, Doc, you had a question. I, real quick, there was a time on the show where I I told Doc, I'm like, we got to get the youth in here, like, uh, not youth, youth, but you know, the 18 and up, the 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 20 somethings. I was like, how do we how do we uh, seem hip and all that? I'm like, Doctor, whenever there's a lull in the show, just sing Kate Bush's "Run Up That Hill." That's gonna that's gonna show that we're we're on top of shit and uh, run I, up the hill. <laughs> I could have used you earlier, Doc, when I was listening to all those Tuttle definitions. I, I wanted that to go on uninterrupted. Uh, <laughs> Doctor, what were you going to say? So um, just because what you're talking about Tuttle with a legal aspect. So if you go back to season one of Stranger Things, they have the, the demigorgon, right? Is there, mm-hmm. there, there, so is that is that an actual name of a Dungeons & Dragons character? Or is that something that those kids in the game they're playing, they created that character? No, that's actually a that, that's actually a D and D character. So is Vecna in season what okay. four or five? The latest so, season, yeah. So they actually had to pay royalties for that. They well, have- I, I, Vecna, Vecna possibly Demogorgon. I think I don't know if that's a spin off an actual mythological character or not. Well, it doesn't. I, well, that's where I was going with it. Was like if they because I, I I like Cade. I, I know next to nothing about it. So when you we were saying that when Hasbro was saying that you guys have to start ponying up some cash, are they basically saying that like you're using these names of characters that we created, or is it just a, an entire an entire you know thing of if you're going to do Dungeons and Dragons on your show, it's going to be like you know you put a can of Pepsi in a movie, you, somebody's got to pay the piper. Uh, sort of, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit more liberal the OGL, uh, like. Hasbro or D and D has they have characters they have literary characters uh, you know like there's there's one character named Dritz and if you were to do a third party content you can't have Dritz in there uh, you also can't like call your massive fire spell a fireball specifically you have to come up with a you know ball of fire or something you can't use a specific there are certain specific names especially character names that you cannot use. Like you can't use Bisbon, you can't use, you know, their, their IP character stuff, but you can use, you know, I mean, how do you fucking trademark a knight? How do you trademark a wizard? I mean, should D and D start paying royalties to Tolkien? I mean, you know, that's, that's where some of this stuff gets into. Well, that's kind of what's interesting to me because obviously, you know, we have a, a film director in our midst. So, you know, product placement was always, something Cade that you had to be concerned with and a, a lot of indie filmmakers are I never referred to me myself as an indie filmmaker and I, I was a very underground filmmaker uh under under underground uh I always said my my fan base was Morlocks who lived at the center of the earth he dug a tunnel uh, underground but yeah I, I was wondering like so but, but I, I was I was always very conscious of that even to the point to where I had fake cigarette packs made because I didn't want to get sued by Marlboro I when we we filmed a film in a movie theater I had fake movie posters to put in the frames in the lobby because I didn't want you know Tom Cruise or Paramount coming at me for a poster like I I, I was always so that is so weird, man. But I, but but most 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 and you know what? I watch so many goddamn low budget films now that stream on Amazon and Tubi, and they don't give a shit. They they, they got products all over the place. They 
I get, I, I've always just kind of aired on the side of caution. I'm like, I don't, on the odds, I actually make a good movie that people want to see. I don't want it to get shit canned because every other scene, my guys are smoking out of a, a, a pack of Marlboros or drinking a, a Miller High Life. And I find out that they're, they're, they won't let me do that. So I, I just always aired on the side of safety on that. But yeah, I, I get your point. Uh, I would like to more, learn more about those fireballs. What's that about? Well, that, they're also is that your, the ocean. The ocean, no, uh, no, that's a actually. I'm surprised that D and D's not trying to sue Running Man off of that. It's Fireball character. Um, another thing that that Hasbro is trying to do is they're trying to to write this OGL or this gaming license in a way to where they have actually they can sit there and say, I don't like that character that you made on your third party YouTube channel because it reflects poorly on D and D get rid of it or we're suing you. And I mean, that's, they're basically, you know, trying to litigate how people play their game. I mean, Seems it, like a it's slippery slope from a legal standpoint. Well, they're, they're not, they're not limiting how you play their game. They're limiting how you play their game on YouTube for profit. True. Yeah, but I mean, it's just, it's wrong. I mean, you've had decades of the OGL. It's like as a kid, kid, I could play with my Star Wars figures. That's not Hasbro, right? That was Kenner? Yeah, Kenner. I I could play with my Star Wars figures in my room and call them whatever they wanted and make Han do all sorts of sussy Baka stuff to Leah in the privacy of my own bedroom. Or a Gamorrean guard, if I was feeling up to adding some spice in the mix. But if I film myself on YouTube showing Han performing a tuttle on a Gamorrean guard, Kenner might have some issues with that. George yeah, Lucas. Kenner can't, Kenner can't, George, George Lucas might have some issues with that. They can't, they can't sue you for that. But isn't that what D&D is saying? You can't play. That's what they're trying to, yeah. And so... Wait, we, Kate's point: The YouTube people that are playing the game are are they they're are they making money? They're like getting advertisers or oh doing... yeah, they're making money. Okay, then but you've just... also but you've also had a license that's been in effect, God, I think since two thousand and five, that is allowed for all this. So they've been very lax, and now all of a sudden they're not. Right, and it, it's right. It's like now they're like, okay, we want to we want to control all this stuff. And nobody is saying that they can't do that. Nobody is saying that it's your IP. You you don't have the ability to do that. It's just that now that they're like, you're coming at this so hard after, man, what almost you're all, you're approaching twenty years of this license, and you have no or you have no sensitivity to the fact that you're in this position because of the third party content. If you remove the third party content, nobody's talking about your game. Yeah. We 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 kept you going before Stranger Things. We yeah. we, we we kept the brand alive. Uh and and now that you've you've got some steam going, you wanna dip into our, our tiny little piece of the pie. Um, I mean just just come on. Uh you've got Critical Role doing their things. <laughs> Excuse us. Uh a two a group of Canadians, the dungeon dudes doing their thing. With the Drakenheim series, you got Jenny D, this cute chick out of New Jersey, doing her thing. I mean, you've just got all these individual social media personalities that are perpetuating this product 
I guarantee you their response, I would, I, this is all anecdotal and I'm just guessing out my ass. It's above 60% responsible for all their sales. Okay. If you, if you stop at just the stranger things reference and you had no other social media out there, people would have been like, Oh, that's, that, that's cool. Yeah. I remember that, but nobody's investigating this any further and they're definitely not buying the books. I mean, just come on, man. Yeah. It's kind of like cigars uh, without us talking about them and romanticizing them and giving our YouTube viewers and iTunes listeners our experiences. Nobody's buying these things. Well, I mean, it's kind of like if our sponsor drew estate was like, you know what? I saw, uh, I saw your YouTube video and you're smoking a drew estate stick and you're talking about Drew estate stick. We want, we want your, we want your ad revenue. Hey, let me empty out my couch cushions. You can have it. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Uh, and, and, and real quick before we, uh, move on the, the box machina, it's an Amazon series. Uh, mm-hmm. the way that, the way that yak boy, and I'm going to go to you yaks on this, you, you basically said that is a clever creative way of showing the D and D playing experience and what the players like tut in the moment in front of the board in kind of envision the, the, the game they're playing in their head and kind of shows you why it is the special role-playing experience that it is. Am I right on that? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you're sitting there talking about literally, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm, we're battling a dragon, we're battling, a demon we're battling a wizard we're doing something but you know and, and like any game it has its own rules it has its, it has a set way of doing things but you you know if you basically just cut it down like the way people think about it sometimes or they hear about it like you know hey, i'm going to roll these dice it's going to be these set amount of numbers i'm going to i'm going to work this out all right then my damage to my enemy is this I was like, it's very, it's very, you know, that's clinical. It, it, it's dry. But when you see someone actually, when you see a group of people actually playing it, you're seeing a much more, you know, you, you, when you see those people, they're like very excited, but you have to look at, you know, I mean, go back to the original stuff. You know, like Tut said, you know, coming out in the seventies, expanding into the early eighties, you know, I mean, there's, books and binders of just all of this information. I mean, you can literally build a library of books just so that you can, so that people can have this idea, you know, they're looking for to, to, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to battle this monster. Well, what's the monster look like? Well, let's, here's a picture of it. Okay. Okay. When you're playing with your guys, has your has your wizard ever died? And when he does, like, do you fall out of your stool and like no. act out act out death on the floor? No, if I fall out of stool, it's usually because I'm into my third or fourth bourbon, and it's been you know a little bit. Well, that, well that's I'm when drunk I, at that point. Well, that's what I got to ask. Like, if you fall down or on the on the floor drunk, are you like, no, 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 the wizard's drunk? <laughs> that's all right I'm just role playing just role playing but no like like back in the 80s that was the that was the claim is that you know when your character died in game these kids were committing suicide back there 
This is the devil's work. I, I'm just picturing Tut getting pulled over on the way home. Like, excuse <laughs> it, excuse it, officer. Like, my he's like, good man, my good man. I'm not drunketh. I'm role playing a wizard that is. I was sharing a goblet of mead with me, fellow <laughs> fairies. He's like, yeah, I bet you were hanging out with some fairies tonight. I weaved back and forth from lane to lane to avoid the dragon fire. <laughs> yes. You're the third guy in a Subaru I pulled over that said that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, that's it. Uh, you know what? I I stand by my call. I, I would like to go uh, to Creekside and, and observe... Be a uh, what? What do they call him in war, uh, Doctor? A conscientious ob- observer. It was conscientious like objector? Which was oh, conscientious objector. Well, no, I'll be that too. I'll make fun of him. Uh, I, I, I will let him know I, I'm against all the silliness. The blood hey. alcohol content is point one seven. Not if I cast this potion. <laughs> it's so, a sobriety potion. Put your hands behind your fucking head. <laughs> Two frog legs. <laughs> Magic missile. Hey, I will say this. I've been uh, cleaning out my garage, and I have a, a, a treasure trove of things from my youth in there. And I came across, I actually own a role-playing game in the vein of Dungeons & Dragons. I have a box uh, from, this would have been when it came, the movie came out, a Raiders of the Lost Ark role-playing game it's got the multi-face die and same yeah. thing like do you think maybe if i went up to creekside wearing a fedora with a bullwhip and threw that down the table i could get a, some people going on that in the words of matt mercer who is the dungeon master of critical role who is responsible for the legends of vox machina you can certainly try that doesn't sound very encouraging what the hell am I going to do with this bullwhip now? Got a few ideas. <laughs> yeah. Get anyway, one- the legend. Hey, I'll use legend- it my, my next one six. My next one sixty nine. Hey, you in the corner, Tut. The Legends of Vox Machina is an awesome uh, animation because it's it's a group. It's an antihero group. They're a bunch of numb nuts. They're misfits. Uh, they're the last people. They're kind of like the the unreliables. You know, they're the last people you want to send to save the world. But here they are, just kind of thrust to the thing. And it's just funny as fuck. And it's it's endearing. I mean, the writing is endearing. The acting is is great. Uh, it's just a fun story all around. Okay, well, that's good to hear because, Tut, a year or so ago, I sent you a link to a movie that I think it was on Amazon about D and D players that get into some kind of, it comes to life or something. And I thought, I was like, this is right up your alley. And you're like, you watched it and you're like, that sucked. They made a mockery of us gamers. They made fun of us. It was nothing. It was nothing like it was, it was a a very hammy uh, fake representation and you you hated it. You said it was terrible. Now, the Kevin Smith cameo in that movie was fun. Uh, I did like his character. So Vox Machina Uh, uh, might give you folks out there a window into the uh, inner psyche of Tut on Friday nights. Is that accurate? 
Dude, don't don't even. I mean, yes, yes, it is. Uh, but I mean, don't even do it for like. Oh, let's let's look for a, a, an insight to Dungeons and Dragons play. No, just watch it for for the fun shit that it is. I mean, it's like it's a it's a funny Conan, uh, Conan the Barbarian. I mean, it, it's just it's it's just fun. If you like that fantasy set, setting, if you like you know fighters and warriors, mm-hmm. I mean, just check it out, man. Okay. Well, Yaks, uh, real quick, while we're on the subject of wizards and all that crap, uh, you watched the new Willow series on Disney Plus, right? I did. How was it? Uh, Inquiring minds want to know. It's fun. At least they did that much with it. You told me, you told me I might like it because unlike the Lord of the Rings TV show or movies, Unlike Game of Thrones, you said this one was very comfortable being lighthearted and not every storyline is end of the world. Well, it's, it's a, you know, we used to take fantasy and, you know, a lot of the fantasy shows, they were, they were just fun. I mean, it was, they were, they weren't, well, yes, they were on a dire, you know, quest. We have to do this to save the world. I knew you were going to say that word quest, but it isn't like, you know, where, you know, game of Thrones, you know, you know, came out and they're like, you know, it's fantasy. Everybody it's, it's brutal combat. Nobody's like, you getting know, the hero comes out. I'm going to save the day. And like five dudes just come up and like, you know, shank him to death in like 30 seconds. Nobody, nobody in the Willow series is getting marched naked through the streets with the shame bell going on. Yeah. Or- but and, um, and well, that's a good thing. Not everything has to be, you know. It, I, and I call yeah, it. No, you know, it's like I, Tolkien, I, everyone's like, "What's Game of Thrones?" Well, it's like Lord of the Rings, but it's dark and gritty. Oh, well, let's no more dark and gritty. Stop with we, the dark and gritty. That's what you said. Willow was. You said it, it's very light. You said even like the bad guy. Are they what orcs or? Uh, well, I mean, they're just the the bad guys. There, there's a humor at all levels. And, and that's something. what, and that's what you said that sounded refreshing to me because most things that happen in that ancient mystical time are so heavy handed and so depressing. And like, 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 look at all, all the comic book stuff that's now. Like every single storyline is an end of the world apocalypse. Whereas what happened to just go into stop that bank robber? I mean, not everything has to be the end of the world. So I, I, I kind of, I'm glad to hear you say that, Yax, because I discounted Willow. I was like, I'm not watching that. I'm, I'm not watching it. But it does sound refreshing. I've well, actually, I mean, and, well, the original point of the the original movie Willow, you know, Lucas, that was one of his projects as well, and he made Willow because he never could acquire the rights to Lord of the Rings, so he wanted to do his own fantasy movie. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Doctor, uh, this leads in. I actually, I'm going to admit, I never saw the movie Willow. It, it looked really. Uh, you would like it uh, because. It's got Val Kilmer. I mean, come I, on. I, I have not seen any of the miniseries. I very much enjoy the 1988 movie Willow, and it's a great performance by a young Kilmer. Okay. Well, Doctor. I believe the film Willow, like uh, Yak Boy said, was Lucas's attempt at a new franchise, a la Star Wars. 
because uh, he couldn't get the rights to Lord of the Ring. But it was somewhat of a box office flop back in the day. It did not perform yeah. well enough. Uh, but it was not a fiasco, if you will, of a motion picture. No. And the doctor, the doctor just happens to be reading a book on box office flops and fiascos, the biggest, <laughs> biggest flops of all time. And so I'm sure Willow wasn't big enough to make the book. No. But. Plus, Willow was up against that time period. I believe it didn't do great because it came out the same time as Crocodile Dundee 2 and Rambo 2. And how are you going to compete with those those dudes? Uh, but it is it is funny how the guy who created Star Wars out of thin air and seemingly this new franchise out of thin air, it didn't have legs to it. It didn't perform like he wanted to. But that book, Doctor, dives into much bigger budgeted turds, at least generally conceived box office turds. Um, is it a good read? It's very good. Uh, so the name of the book is actually Fiasco, A History of Hollywood's Iconic Flops. Uh, it was written in 2006, so there's a chapter on 15 different movies of the late 20th century, starting with the Cleopatra, the Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor flick from 1960. Wow, that was a flop because I, I mean, you always, I always see that. I always oh, see it, clips it, of it. Well, I, dude, it, it costs so much. They, they had no chance. Oh, okay. That's, that's the basis of this book. It's not necessarily that it isn't a noteworthy movie. In fact, many of them are. It's basically. Just didn't recoup it. It's basically like was disastrous financially. Gotcha. Um, and so it goes up to a movie in 2001 called Town and Country. That's the movie with Warren Beatty. I haven't gotten that far yet. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's a chapter devoted to Kevin Costner, Waterworld and the Postman. Oh, yeah. But yet, but yet those are, those are like cult classics now. It's, it's not. Well, it's yes. A, but both of those movies, I mean, while you can say I've watched them, and I even I can even say, hey, you know what? It's a guilty pleasure when it comes on. I'll watch it. Well, I mean, class, literally, classics don't pay how the much they spent making it is just yeah. You you okay. question sanity. There's a chapter I'm really looking forward to reading on Showgirls. Uh, yeah, so yeah. It and I, it's that not one, about whether it's a good movie or a cult classic. It's that it, a budget. It, there's a theme here, and. Most of them are bad ideas to begin with because honestly, one is the 1969 Western slash musical Paint Your Wagon. Uh, two lead actors. A classic. I love that thing. <laughs> Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood are going to be in a musical. Yes. But I, I mean, I'm going to be honest, not going to question that you got these guys doing a Western. No problem. No problem whatsoever. Lee Marvin. Clint Eastwood in a Western. Yes, but we're going to have them sing. Hold on. Stop. Stop. Because I'm I'll, like, I watch it. Based nobody on, asked I, I what want to I was now. Like, can Lee Marvin sing? Yes, he can. But not in a human, but not in a level that humans can hear. It's so low. I can't remember. It borders on infrasound. I have, I have seen it, but I mean, it's like, I've seen it like once, ages ago. 
but uh, are they actually singing? Because I know Clint yes. Eastwood's done yeah. a couple yes. of According singing book, stuff yes. in his deal, but they were they were overdubs. They were no, 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 no. They 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 did sing. Uh, it was a it was a, it was a terrible concept. Um, Doctor, the most interesting entry for me in my childhood in that book that you mentioned was in there uh, to me the other day. And the most interesting omission that wasn't in there um, from from my heyday of movie watching as, as a young guy. Um, one, I was shocked that they didn't do a chapter on Hudson Hawk. It is mentioned in the introduction. Because it was yeah. such... Well, first of all, I don't understand why Showgirls cost so much. It's a strip club movie. Yeah. Why did the budget need to be that fucking big? Here's here's an interesting thing, Cade. They they spend money in what, in hindsight, seems like grossly stupid ways. Like one of the things, for example, on Cleopatra, where it's just like you you you're going, why didn't you know this at the time? Right, the actual historical epic is going to take place in in Rome and Italy and in Egypt, so. They started constructing sets on a Hollywood backlot, and they're spending for that time, early sixties, a shitload of money on constructing these sets. One of the producers, his whole thing was, we got to have Elizabeth Taylor because at the time she was, you know, supremely hot. popular, super hot chick, both in terms of her career and great looking, got to and famous, got to have her. Well, they considered other actresses. When she came in with her list of demands, they were preposterous. And they should have told her to get lost. But this producer was like, it's got to be her. So they gave into her demands. One of her demands was for a tax shelter, they need to go shoot the movie abroad somewhere. So they spent all this money on sets on in Hollywood. They had to break those down. So then they moved the production over to Europe. Well, I think... There was like an Olympics actually going on in Italy and Egypt was going to be kind of dicey. So some fucking genius came up with the idea to go shoot in England. And as a guy points out in this chapter, this is a terrible idea. Like not only does England look nothing like Italy or Egypt, but the weather's piss. It's foggy, rainy and cold. We're going to lose all kinds of days. And so they end up building. This yeah. there. So there's stuff in like set building and there's there, the money gets shit away at all these crazy things. All the logistics stuff. Right. You, you think of it in like terms of explosions and stuff like that. And it's almost that they blow money. Um, and a lot of these cases, the screenplay sucks. So they bring in additional writers. Um, but I, I know what you really wanted to get to, Cade, and it's the, one of the ones here is there is a chapter devoted entirely to the 1993 Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Last Action Hero. Which, unlike a lot of those films, there's a Jack Slater action figure right here behind me. You can see on the on the shelf. I'm surprised that that's that's considered a fiasco. Well, no, 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 Tut. It did horribly. Arnold was coming off of T2, the biggest yeah. box office thing of his career. Unlike those other films, it had a brilliant script deconstructing and it was way too meta for the time it was way too 
look at ourselves, looking at the action genre from the outside. I loved it. No, no, no. Eight different writers worked on the script. Yeah. Eventually Shane Black, uh, legendary Shane Black, AKA young Paul, our, our good buddy from our <laughs> hipster, uh, predator spoof, which you can watch on YouTube right now. Uh, and also, uh, Tail tubes? doc or no, uh, Tut had referenced the unreliables earlier. That was another short film. We did a spoof on the expendables. You can also find that on, uh, the YouTubes, but, um, it was even as a kid watching last action hero, I got the meta yeah. an action movie commenting on action movies, Arnold making fun of big screen Arnold. And it was, yeah, eight different writers, but somehow they came out with something that actually was co- congealed and coherent and hilarious and mixed that in with some of the biggest crazy action stunts, that elevator scene with him in the helicopter and and the tar pits and but but to see Arnold making fun of the Arnold that we knew at that point was yeah. did not interest audiences at all. You were Oz. one of the only people that found that to be interesting. And just as a quick background, one of the things that led to it, and your action figure is gonna come into this, but after the collapse of the studio system in the sixties. And because, you you know, the old days you had Jack Warner and Louis B. Mayer and Daryl Zanuck that, that owned the studios for decades or, or studio heads for decades. After the, the corporations came in and bought the studios, then you started having extreme turnover in the highly paying positions of head of studio, head of production, executive vice president production. These are high paying positions, but they start, they really turned over. There was regime changes all the time in studios. So it became a thing where you probably didn't have your job for very long. And in order to keep it, you almost had to gamble and you almost had to, it's almost like you're the captain of the Titanic and the ship is sinking. And you, your options are I can abandon ship and get in a lifeboat, but I'll never captain another ship again. Or I can stay on this and pray the one in a thousand chance we somehow write the ship. So they take that route. So there was a producer uh, named Mark Canton, and he gets a lot of the blame in this. But also it was Sony Pictures, and so they're owned by the Japanese. Uh, but they, they turned it over to, to, I believe, the John Peters-Peter Goober tandem. and But from the outset where this book gets blamed and an Arnold is not given a, a free license here is that Mark Canton specifically with all the different production heads, their whole thing was how can we market this with the Sony arm on video games, the soundtrack, which the soundtrack they said ended up with ACDC, baby. They, 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 that ended up Beat like you know, that ended up selling good, but the action figures they they were so concerned with every single marketing tie-in yeah. that what they were doing with the picture kind of got a little bit lost. Like the producers were so concerned on marketing it and making money from tie-ins, they weren't thinking about the picture itself. And uh, well, that's I I actually have a poster up here in the corner of Hope of the 
Mattel Last Action Hero doll that sits behind me. I also have a Jack Slater in his convertible car figure over there. But in hindsight, what kid would watch, what eight-year-old kid would watch that movie, understand any of the sarcasm, understand any of the irony, understand any of it, and want to go out and buy a Jack's, it's, it was all way above a kid's head, the, the humor and the story. And yes, it had some big, impressive action sequences. And on paper, John McTiernan, director of Die Hard, Predator, uh, Hunt for Red October, like you've got the best direct action director in the game at that point. You've got Arnold, the biggest action movie star at the time. And the fact that they, they made a great movie. They made a fantastic fucking Arnold. I movie. just, I, I love when that kid is on his bike running down the hill thinking he's going to save Jack Slater. And then he realizes that he's the side comedic sidekick in the movie. It, it's so meta and it just worked. I mean, it just, it was it's meta better. before meta was a thing. That was, and, I, mean, and that's, just, I loved it. That's exactly what I said to, to the doctor when we were talking about him. Like it was meta before meta was cool. And that was, and that's all, that's honestly, I think what sunk the fucking shit. To show you, yeah, he mentions that, that people were not ready for, for that, but to show you how there's other things that can affect the pictures take some coincidental, some not because they had pumped this movie up. I've been talking about it for so long that the critics and the reviewers were ready to pounce when it looked like something wasn't going well. So, McTiernan apparently was the only one because he was directing it who realized at at one point Arnold himself got on a phone and reached out to the known script doctor William Goldman to come in and and work on it. Um, The Mark Canton, the producer had set this release date in June of 93 and they'd been talking about that for months and even Arnold said, like, this is the big ticket of the summer. And they were talking about it for months leading up to it. Apparently, McTiernan realized some of the scenes weren't playing that well. And that they were going to need to have, they were going to need a better post-production process. And this producer, Mark Canton, was like, that ain't going to happen because we've got our June 18th of 93 date. And apparently, they they made a poor decision. This is on the production. Producers in the studio, they made a poor decision to show a rough cut at a test screening in May of 93 in a suburb of Los Angeles. Even Arnold said, like, that was one of the roughest cuts he'd ever seen at a test screening. Like, it didn't have the score in. It it wasn't edited properly. They showed, like, a two-and-a-half-hour rough cut in a, a Los Angeles suburb, like, on, in May, and it bombed. To the point that Mark Canton, this this chief of production, movie producer, was going around and collecting the audience cards because he wanted to shred them. He didn't want news of it to get out because the audience was not enjoying the rough cut that they watched. And basically, he just wanted to like, we've got we've got this thing we've marketed to the hill. We've got to not let news of this test screening get out. And whereas McTiernan was like. We just need several more weeks and all this. We don't have it. We're releasing this on June 18th of 93. Yeah. So they didn't 
at the, they they didn't they ignored the it's really the producer's fault and it, even even at that point in this it says Arnold even came in and said we should consider pushing back the release date so we can have a better post and the producers just said this is when we got to release it so I don't I news, I, I, I don't gets out. But let me just because this is too interesting too news of this gets out and so then the the critics and the reviewers are ready to pounce and then. So they don't really release the film they needed to release. It could, it could have been tighter, but then the week before this much ballyhooed release date is the release of Jurassic Park. So it makes fifty million bucks and ninety three dollars. It's opening weekend. It has legs that carries it through the whole summer. So Last Action Hero made like fifteen million its first week, but then eight in its second and faded quickly. And just like any other movie that came out in the summer of 93, just got its ass kicked by Jurassic Park. So there was some timing issues there. But yeah, with the producers being so locked in to the marketing of this and pumping it up that they, when it was clear I that don't, some things we need to do here to tighten this picture up, they were like, can't do it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if this plays into it, but, you know, culturally in America, we love tearing superheroes down uh i wonder if at the time because like i said arnold never been bigger at that point in time i wonder if there was an there was a an air of let's let's knock them down a peg oh oh critic wise critic film critic wise i think there was i i can say there was because i used to buy magazines anything with arnold on it i would buy the magazine and read it religiously and i think there was a big uh unsaid movement to take this cocky big bastard down a notch because uh, he was riding high and he could do no wrong. Yeah. And, and he was a confident uh, big talker. And you know what? It's one of those things that only time kind of proved him right. He did make a good yeah. movie. He did pick a good script. He did do something that actually elevated the genre. If they, if they made that movie today, it would be, applauded at cons for yeah. deconstructing the action genre be- yeah, brilliantly. I actually, I actually have last action here as my second most underrated Arnold flick of all time. So, well, it's, it's, you know, the chapter in this book really is going to lend itself to that sort of thinking 30 years later. Um, that was one of the things when they focus on the marketing at the beginning, it's we've got Arnold. So it's going to take care of itself. And it was like, well, we might have problems with the script. We might have scenes that we need to work on. Now we got Arnold. Don't worry about it. Interestingly enough, as these other people fell out of it and the picture flopped and faded in the summer of 93, Arnold was already making true lies, which became a giant hit in the summer of 94. Yeah. So he, he recovered yeah. from it, you know? Well, well doctor, I, I'm, I'm two things. I'm relieved to know that this book isn't just a, a talking headpiece. His opinion, he, it sounds like he really digs into the nitty gritty, the details Very much. of what went wrong and, and the players involved. So that, that I like that kind of yeah, Especially the way it goes into to the logistics stuff. Yeah, no, that, that sounds like a, 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 a really good read. And then Tut, you said last action year was your second most underrated Arnold flick. What's your first? Uh, Maggie. Oh, okay. I I always thought Eraser kind of gets overlooked. It was kind of his last big summer blockbuster. 
And it did okay. I think it barely cleared a hundred million, which is kind of the benchmark for those films in the summertime. But nobody ever talks about Eraser. And I, I always thought, I mean, ultimately the ultimate overlooked Arnold film in my mind is Raw Deal because nobody ever brings up Raw Deal, but I love it. But that was a small, that was a small picture from early on. He wanted to do something different than sword, swords and sorcery. And, uh, but man, I, I, I've always thought Eraser didn't get enough love, but I'm with you. I, I'd probably put. After Eraser, I'd probably put Last Action Hero number two. The reason why the reason why I put uh oh sorry sorry Todd just the the last comment uh, it it takes it takes a lot of disparate factors working together to produce a movie that's budget runs out of control and then doesn't make its money back. But what's interesting is a quote from Peter Guber uh, that I think was interviewed, and it's really interesting because he just said, and I'm paraphrasing it. Nobody sets out to make a flop. Yeah. He said, there are actors that will take a payday and directors that'll take a payday. And he said, there are producers that have what he called a secondary agenda. He didn't elaborate on that, but he said, yeah, these things happen. He said, but everybody still thinks they're putting butts in seats. It was nobody goes out there to make a flop. And he said, it's just that there's, uh, he said it's just that there are things that happen where conceptually he said on the one hand you end up with howard the duck and on the other hand you end up with who framed roger rabbit one was a total bomb the other made a shitload of money and it's like things he said it's it's how you cultivate those seeds that he said and he said i i posit to you he goes within every disaster there was a hit film in there somewhere. And he said in every hit film, there were the seeds for a disaster. It's just how yeah. it got cultivated along the way that ends up with what you end up with. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. I agree. Um, okay. The, the, uh, uh, the reason why I would put, uh, the reason why I, I, I focus on Maggie is that uh, it was the first time Arnold gave us something or gave me more than, just the action hero you know that was his staple that was his bread and butter that was his his hallmark calling card and then maggie was so not that it was actually arnold being vulnerable it was arnold actually just flexing some some hardcore acting muscles and i there was some tender moments in there there was some things that i'd never seen him do before and that's the reason why i think he was underrated because to me that was the that was the film that was like Arnold, the actor. Everybody was like, oh, well, what about twins? You know, it showed his comedic side and he was such a comedic greatness and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah, that, that was a, that was a cool departure from the action hero, but it was still kind of an action hero in that. Yeah. Maggie was total departure. No, from I, that. I, I uh, agree. It's, it's going to be there in my top five underrated Arnold flicks for sure. And I encourage everyone to go watch our episode on Maggie. I believe we, that's back when we were doing the show at the pub. Yeah, that was a long time ago. O'Brien's yeah. O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown historic Temple, Texas. And uh I believe I believe I got really, really shit faced during that yeah, show. Oh yes. <laughs> so yeah, I, do, uh, I do recommend the book Fiasco by James okay. Robert Parrish. And real quick, just read them off to you. The fifteen chapters, uh Cleopatra from nineteen sixty three. Uh The Chase from nineteen sixty six, which had Marlon Brando and Robert Redford. Paint Your Wagon in 1969, 
a movie called The Wild Party in 1975, which had Raquel Welch, who apparently is a total bitch to work with. Um, and then here are the chapters I haven't read yet. Popeye from 1980. Oh, yeah. Robin Williams. Uh, the Cotton Club from 1984. Coppola. Uh, Shanghai Surprise in 1986, which was apparently a vehicle for the then married Sean Penn and Madonna. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, this one's kind of infamous, Ishtar in 1987. Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty, is that right? Yes. Uh, and I believe the director, Elaine May, is going to come under fire in that chapter. Uh, Last Action Hero in 1993, Cutthroat Island in 1995. Gina Davis. Gina Davis, yeah. Uh, Showgirls in 95, a chapter devoted to Waterworld and the Postman, uh, Battlefield Earth, a saga of Travolta. And uh, a movie called Town and Country in 2001. Those are the 15 here. So it's been very well written, very interesting reading, and I'm looking forward to reading the rest of the chapters. All right. Good work, Doctor. Um, I, do, I, I do want to break in. I'm, I'm, I'm tossing. Oh, no, the, I'm uh, done. I am done with my cigar. Yeah, uh, I finish. It, it, as a robusto, it, it, it said farewell uh, a little bit ago. Uh, real quick, Ted, for me, it never moved beyond those, those dry, Coffee, leather, almond flavors. They were consistent from start to end. The strength, overall strength, especially the black pepper through the nose, kicked up there at the very end for me. Yes, it did. Yes. yes. That's what that's uh, what I was com- wanting to comment on. Yeah. Which I really was not ex- – I, I kind of given up any kind of surprises in the thing. And then that uptick in strength and power on uh, the retro in the end was nice. I, I welcomed it with open arms. Uh, do, you, do you like the cigar? Yes. Yes, I did. Uh, and I definitely appreciated the uptick in strength. Uh, yeah, that was nice. It, it needed, well, it mean, needed I, a little something to change through there, but yeah. I mean, that strength for me, I mean, it literally came like right at that last nub. I was, I mean, yeah. I didn't have anything. I was literally almost about to burn my fingers, but I got it. It just, so I was like, all right. Yeah. Did, did you enjoy the cigar, Yanks? I did. I, I, I think I that liked could, it. I like, like I said, those notes, I mean, I, I agree with you on that for me, that the, the flavor wise, it was just, it, it, a lot of those flavors, like you said, were, they were, it was like, it was very dry, but it was still there. But I and, imagine and from I the imagine. beginning to the end, that pepper kicked up in the beginning. It went, it went down. And then at that end, it just shot right back yeah. up. That that resurgence ended it on a nice note, and I, I got to imagine your coconut porter was the best pairing of the night. It had to add a little bit of something to the cigar. It did. I like I said, it balanced a lot of those flavors because I was like, you know, I'm, I'm smoking this. I'm thinking to myself after you were explaining it, and I had my beer. I'm like, I don't know if I. I was like, if it was going to be this, these flavors, I was like that beer, the, that porter. I think really added a little bit. It balanced it out. Gave it more, you know, like I said, it, it was a coconut vanilla porter. So it gave it a little sweetness Man, and threw I, it in there, but it didn't, it didn't, I don't think it really stole. Oh, no, it sounded, like, it sounded like it was all complimentary. And that's what I did not have with this uh, Tex Hex double IPA because the, the IPA is bitter as fuck. <laughs> so it was just more dry bitterness coming in. But you know what? Uh, I, 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 I honestly, I, I did enjoy it. And I, I did appreciate it for what it was. Uh, do you, real quick, do you guys want to guess price point? Uh, I'm going to guess mm-hmm. around the 11 mark. 
I'm going to be really close to Chud. I was going to go like 10, 10, 50. Okay. Well, CAO, uh, other than their Amazon Basin line and the Vision line, uh, which the original was my favorite CAO of all time, but uh, hell, man, that was two, 2010. Uh, the, the latest divisions are nowhere near the glory of the original. Um, those tend to be a little more pricey, but uh, no, uh, this one comes in at eight ninety nine. Oh, definitely, definitely. With this sweet, I mean, these chromatic colors. It's that's going to cost at least ten dollars. It's a damn just good band. band. It's oh. a damn good band. Why buy an Opus X when you can just pick this one off of the show? I mean, I honestly, I I can't tell a difference in them. It it's it just I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Nine nine bucks for a uh, eight. Uh, hey, it's not like I don't like flavors of le- of hard leather and almond and coffee grounds with some spice. Hey, I'm okay with that. I I just wish I'd maybe picked a sweeter pairing. Uh, actually, you know what? A little perva oak, Serbian oak aged rakia would pair wonderfully. <laughs> Perfectly. Uh, with the BX3. I'll have to try that uh, as soon as dry January is over and I finish all these beers. It was over like <laughs> an hour ago. You literally killed it. Oh, that's right. I chugged dry January away a week, a week earlier. Uh, well, real quick, because I, I do want to get into the movie that we all watch for tonight. Uh, I will say as far as uh, what I've been watching, the only thing of note that I thought uh, worth mentioning. I finally pulled the trigger and dived into a new series as I patiently waited for the bachelor to start up again. Uh, Paramount plus I'm three episodes in to Tulsa King starring Sylvester Stallone. Stallone yeah. As he's a mobster, a New York mobster for the mafia. He served 25 years, kept his mouth shut. And upon his release, he comes out to a very different mob family and their idea to get rid of this fossil is to send him down to Tulsa, Oklahoma to start some new business opportunities down there. And it took me an episode to forget I was watching Stallone. That was hard. Um, Which, you know what? I, I, I don't get that from his movie. I don't get like when I watch the Expendables, I don't feel I immediately just go into just believing it. For some reason, it took me a while to get past the personality of Stallone to believe that he's this this ex-gangster. But once he gets down to Oklahoma, and, and I'm just gonna do this real quick, it basically becomes Kind of like Yak said with Willow, harmless fun. Not every mob thing has to be the Sopranos. Yeah. Not every Dungeons and Dragons thing has to be Game of Thrones. Because this thing plays like an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger. Like, there's no way, <laughs> there's no way in 2022 this gangster could go down to Oklahoma and start pushing people around and just ingrain himself and start making money like muscling in on bars and his big thing is like he there's like a legal business selling uh marijuana because it's legal there but he goes in and just like steals their money and's like you're working for me now like okay like it makes no sense and it's completely ludicrous 
But by the by the middle of episode two, I kind of got into the spirit of it. And honestly, it was this one scene where Stallone goes, he's like, who's your supplier to the, it's this little nerd from a uh, party down, this guy, Martin Starr, who I actually met at this party down marathon. Great show party down. Uh, he plays the owner of this, this weed store that, that Stallone just storms in and takes over. And he's like, I'm going to protect you. I want 20%. He's like, protect me from what? I'm selling a legal product. And he's like, and you'll keep selling it, but I'm going to make sure you're safe. He's like, you're the only one threatening me. You're going to keep me safe from you? Like, what are you talking about? 20%. 20%. He's like, fine, I guess. So it makes no sense. But there's a scene in season two where he's like, I'm going to get you a better deal on your weed. Take me to your source. So they go out to this huge legal. Everything they're doing is legal marijuana farm where this guy sits down with Stallone. He's like, we got to renegotiate the terms. And he's eating this dip. He's like, this hummus is fucking amazing. And after the end, he's like, they, they, they make a new deal. And he's like, Oh, by the way. uh, Oh, and that's another thing. This, this New York gangster's name is Dwight. I don't know how that's Italian at all. And he's like, by the way, Dwight, uh, that hummus you've been eating. He's like, it's fucking delicious. He's like, it's uh THC infused hummus. Everything here is infused. So on the ride back in the Cadillac, Stallone is tripping. And dude, he just starts like talking like high talk. Like, how do I know the color blue is the same color that you see blue? Like, he's just like fucked up. And I'm oh like, gosh. And I'm like, Did you just uh, turn into Assy McGee. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can understand what, what, what uh, Stallone said. But dude, once you just start having fun with it and ignore the implausibilities that this would never, dude, the minute this guy showed up in any place in Tulsa, Oklahoma, they call the cops and he get hauled out of there. Like, he just goes up to the bartender, like, you're giving me 20%. And he's like, it's an Applebee's, dude. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, 20%. All right, fine. I'll give you your 20%. Like the guy just like is, it makes no fucking logical sense in 2022, but somehow dude, it's like, it's like Walker. It's like, you just go with it and it's just fun. It's kind of like that Amazon show reacher. Yeah. Yeah. But where reacher at least tries to reachers ridiculous too, but this one just is so ridiculous that it, you just kind of have to just, all right, I'm in it for the fun. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's my take on Tulsa King. And then I want to get to our, our movie here and breeze through it real quickly that we all watch. But the last thing I will say is the only movie, the feature film movie on all our lists that there was some connection to both Tut and I had, uh, the knives out sequel glass onion, uh, streaming on Netflix on our list. Uh, I thought it was very fun. I thought it was actually, I don't remember a lot about the original Knives Out other than it seemed a lot more convoluted and maybe took itself a little more seriously than this one. This one was all about just ridiculous fun and a, a kind of a old school laughing comedy caper. Yeah. So I'm just going to leave it at, I'm going to leave it at glass onion. Uh, I liked it. I'll give it a thumbs up. 
Last onion, I, I I can't let it go without saying one, Daniel Craig, you're fucking awesome. Uh, don't don't let go of the foghorn leghorn accent. Uh, two, Batista, very fun character. Uh, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan Johnson. I think it's Ryan. Ryan, he he pulled out he put out this bullshit article to pump it up, saying that Batista is the best wrestler turned actor of all time, and I disagree with that. Uh, I think John Cena takes that hands down, but Batista is definitely approaching a number two. I've always said that Batista needs a good director to really be out there. And I think that the Ryan Johnson Batista connection in this, it paid off. I think, uh, I think, I think painting Batista as kind of an Instagram influencer with his tats and his, his, his stuff was, it was brilliant. I thought it really, it really let Batista have some fun with it. I thought it, I hadn't seen Kate Hudson in years. She looked great and was really funny in it. Uh man, the guy gets a lot of shit for how much he cares about his roles, but Edward Norton was the best Edward Norton slash Elon Musk I've ever seen. Yeah. That guy. Dude, he had he was great. Every everybody was great. Everybody was having fun. And it was just a really pretty, bright visual movie to have fun with for two hours. I highly uh, And then, I, re- I, I think that's one of the things that we're we're weaving a thread through all these movies is that just just having fun not taking it too seriously just just having fun and i thought i thought glass onion did that yeah i mean there's something to be there's something to be said for that whether it be willow whether it be tulsa king whether it be glass onion i mean not everything as as yak boy said has to be doom and gloom and so drama heavy to, to to be enjoyable and glass onion was the prototype definition of just a lot of money spent to make things look pretty and to make you laugh and kind of a weak ass story, but who cares? Cause you're having fun and you're enjoying the characters. That that's, that's perfectly right. Mr. K. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay, folks. So the collective film tonight that we've all watched and we're the first time tonight, we're all on the same page. I selected the 1987 film, The Barbarians, a.k.a. The Game of Boneheads. Uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't work. This totally does. Lovely, this, does. doesn't work at all. Dude, The Game of Boneheads. Yes. Yes, it this kind of works, but doesn't. This lovely gem from the iconic canon group was written by James R. Silk who, get this, was an uncredited screenwriter on the 1969 Western classic The Wild Bunch. Wow. Correct. And but quickly, well, go go ahead, go ahead. He also wrote 1983's Revenge of the Ninja and 1984's Ninja 3 The Domination, which happened to be my two favorite ninja movies. True enough. What were you going to say, X? Well, it's not with, without precedent. I was going to come into this a year after this. So, I mean, his, his barbarian credentials, obviously he did this movie, but he was actually, uh, this was uh, 87. So in 88, it was released. Uh, he began a, a four book series 
Uh, he was the first guy to ever do this off based off of Frank Frazetta's work, The Death Dealer. There uh, came out like 72, 73, the iconic picture of the guy on the horse with the giant axe. Everybody knows it. People painted on the side of vans, all that yeah. awesomeness. So he is not without his credentials. He went on to write a four book series based on the death dealer. So his James, love of barbarians isn't based on this movie. James R. Silk did that? Yeah. Look at I have all four of those books. I've read them multiple times. I yaks. didn't realize it until I like, I, I watched this like, all right. I was like, I remember this movie. What Jack, what asshat wrote this? So I go dig it up. I'm like, James Silk. James R. Silk. That name. Oh, it's right there. I'm familiar like, to me. And I'm oh, like, and so then I'm like, he works. And then I'm like, I got to Google this shit. All right. Who is this Jack hat? Huh? Oh, wait. He wrote those books, those same books that are on the bookshelf sitting behind me right now. Are you fucking kidding me? This slapdick doesn't know his barbarians at all. He loves barbarians because, I, and then and this is, and we'll get into it here in a second, but a lot of what he wrote in those books, actually, he used in this film script. Actually, Kay, this movie, if it were titled The Slapdick Barbarians, that would have been better. That would have been, but oh my God. Yax, this, Yax, this is this is really good insight, brother. It is. I was like, I was blown away. I didn't I had seen but I had seen this movie, you know, it was probably like, you know, whenever it went out on Long film time ago to yeah. the movie store, it was like 90, 91, you know, when things were getting re-released. Into those early VHS yeah, stores. All you rich kids with your HBO. You just <laughs> shut your filthy mouth. Uh, you know what? He also wrote this genius, uh, your favorite author. He also wrote King Solomon's Minds, which uh, Tut always swore was better than a superior film to Raiders Lost Ark. But... Wait, he wrote uh, the King Solomon's Minds, the one with Richard Chamberlain and Sharon? Yes. Stenham? Yes. Uh, the film was directed by Ruggiero Diodato, uh, who's best known for his controversial 1980 horror film, Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, dude, that was that guy's claim to fame. So obviously all the ingredients here. For a imply, blockbuster or a fiasco. Imply that we're in for something very special interesting maybe see tut the thing is they never spent enough money here for it to ever be in risk of being a fiasco no 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 no. or is perhaps the book a magic book if you look into it now is there like a 17th or 18th chapter that says barbarian brothers here's how we throw some magic potion on that oh my god here's how missile magic missile here's how it would get into mincy's or the doctor's uh fiasco book well, we have hundreds of chicks to dress in this film. We should probably give them some authentic uh, deer skin, but just put them in some swimsuits. 20 bucks, problem solved. That's why they're not in the fiasco book. It works for me. But they didn't have neon green bikinis back in the days of lore. Fuck it. Good. It works. Hey, instead of we've got Arnold, hey, man. We got Lynch. We got Lynch. Richard Lynch, baby. 
Let me tell I, you a tale of high adventure. I selected this film because I knew that we'd have Dungeons and Dragons on our minds tonight, which this movie contains both of. And because it stars the Barbarian Brothers, BB, and we're smoking a triple BBBB cigar. So tonight's episode, like I said, the Tonight Cigar Club is brought to you by the letter B. Damn, I'm good. No wonder the ladies find me to be, what was it? Oh, yeah. A bean of pure sexual energy. Be nice. Be nice. The IMD synopsis of this film reads as such. Two twin barbarians seek revenge from the warlord who massacred their tribe and captured them when they were small children. Which if you changed it from twin barbarians to single child barbarian, you'd have the synopsis to Conan. It's, (laughs) It's the exact same thing. The film takes place in a time long, long ago in a world of savage splendor. The narrator tells us, Doctor, I believe that is what we call an oxymoron, savage splendor. That's correct. A time of darkness, demons, sorcery, and, as Tut said, high adventure. Uh, See how this is all tying into the D&D talk? Uh, Yax, you're a history buff. Did this time period of high adventure with wizards and dragons, did that actually exist for our viewers and listeners at home? Or is that something that's just made up gobbledygook? I'm going to go with a gobbledygook. I I'll be in, in the instance that. of this film, like I said, the writer, he would, he was already drawing on some stuff. He was already working on a project. Someone probably brought him this and he's like, I'll throw some shit in here that I'm already working on. You guys are going to love this. What's that book over there? Shut up about the book. So basically what you're saying is we went from all the magical gobbledygook of the Bible and then it ends and then we get to real stuff. Very true. So all, 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 the, all, all the, all the magical fantastical shit in the Bible, that's cool. But then at, at, at zero BC, we start just being normal and nothing else crazy happens. Nothing. Ignore. The guy behind the curtain. Ignore the whole That's, druids. Ignore the whole gotcha. no. no. So I, I just, okay, so it's, so it's funny because we, we 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 you know a vast majority of Americans buy all that uh, magical crazy stuff from the the Bible, but then it stops and we're normal from there on. But, absolutely, but, absolutely. Okay. Don't question it. Don't wait. I I see the look in your. Don't question it. Parting the seas, cool. Dragons. Man, we're getting like really way deep for something from the barbarians. Brother. No, and well, and all right. So you know, this is why I said it, 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 it interests me so much that the 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 writer of this he went on and and the reason I say this is like if you're not paying attention to these little niches. So Frazetta, major uh, artist for fantasy art. I mean, no, the, ma- Frank the, Frazetta, ma- the master, the master one. He, I mean, the reason we have such iconic pictures of like Conan, the barbarian 
or even the original pick, the original posters for Star Wars is and, because of guys like him. And tying it back to D and D, I mean, part of the thing yes. that makes D and D popular is the artwork that was inspired by this dude. I was going to say it wasn't Franzetta, but it was directly influenced by Franzetta for Correct. sure. Yeah. It, between uh, Frazetta and another artist named Boris Vallejo, they set the groundwork for everything that we know today in terms of fantasy art. Okay. Hands down. Now, Silk, and this is why it really just intrigued me when I saw this and I realized what he had done. So Silk was the first guy after, so, you know, Frazetta did his stuff and everybody was in, in just, in awe, and they're still encapsulated by that picture that Frazetta did. But Silk was the first guy that actually put a story to the character, to that person. I mean, Frazetta drew the picture, but he never gave a reason. He just like, I came up with this idea for this barbarian on this horse holding this giant fucking axe. Oh, with a hot, that was it. With a hot big boob chick holding on to the horse's leg. Oh, no, no. This was one of Frazetta's just straight up, I'm going, like, it's like looking at, you know, the specter of death. It is a dude on a horse. Go down to Fort Hood. Go down to Fort Hood. There's a huge mural of this dude. And this is the, well, no, no. And so this, I mean, it, it has become this background iconic. If you're paying attention, so Silk was the first guy that ever made a definitive story for that character. So... Uh, in 1988, just at one year after this movie, a uh, book came out called Prisoner of the Horned Helmet. And it's about this character. It's about that, that, that guy on the horse. And I have so, never seen Cody this animated since our oh, Ghost dude. in the Shell well, episode. This, this is groundbreaking. This, I, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And to go on after that, every single story about this character has either been fan fiction and or has been a comic book. Ever, so, I mean, even Danzig made a comic book about that picture, about the about the the death dealer, the horned helmet, all that stuff. But everybody draws from Silk's work. Everybody is doing the same thing. A barbarian who is encapsulated by a magical helmet. And so, and the reason I say that is in the movie we'll get we, when the the two brothers they're captured they're raised basically as we see Schwarzenegger's Conan alone and the, then they the go gold on helmet and the black helmet but both the horns are downturned the same as Frazetta's they're not viking helmet with the horns up yeah. the <laughs> horns are down well, as we learned from our voiceover extraordinaire artist Keith How- Keith A. Howell, uh, the Vikings actually never had horns on their helmets. Correct. But now, the 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 what are the things? So, like, well, anyways, anyway, I'm going to stop because I'm going to keep talking. Okay, no, 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 go no. on. You go on with your awesomeness. I can't believe that I, I picked a flick that you've got this kind of background. Do this. Don't apologize. This is awesome. Do the characters in his books uh, talk like uh, Jersey strip club bouncers, or was that unique? Uh, was uh, that, they they had a little bit more. Is that unique? Okay, okay, that was unique to the film. Okay, well, uh, to to kind of dive headfirst into the film, a tribe a tribe of traveling carnies 
basically called the uh, Ragnicks, who possess a sacred gemstone, a ruby to be exact. That, 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 that's in his books. I mean, I'm not saying anything. Oh, now you're going to be all night. It's not the same as in the books. I totally am. I'm going to do it. Yeah, it's just rename the pub from O'Brien's to the horny helmet and be done with it. <laughs> if only I could. So please go visit the horny helmet in downtown historic Temple, Texas. Uh, well, the Ragnicks, these these traveling group of carnies, get ambushed and attacked in the opening scene by the evil villain Kadar, played by the legendary Richard Lynch in a long blonde wig. And this chase scene seems like it lasts 30 minutes. It does. And it, it is, does. for me, it, it lasts is, for 32 seconds. It is the absolute highlight of the film. It's a great chase scene. You've got a fire breather spitting fireballs off the back of a stagecoach at the attacking bad guys, which I had never seen. Talk about hot pursuit. Son of a bitch. A juggler throwing his bowling pins at the villains. Not to brag, but I took two semesters of bowling while at Sam Houston State University. I'm pretty sure that the sport of bowling wasn't around yet back in the days of black magic and high adventure. <laughs> I'm just saying he had What's perfect. Bad is I actually did take two semesters of bowling at SFA. Dude, they didn't have bowling pins back in the days of high adventure. And they were clearly bowling pins. Again, they, why they, this they movie was juggling not pins, show. juggling did we, pins. Did we get the guy some medieval mace? Nah, I just get the little son of a bitch, a couple of bowling pins. <laughs> <laughs> or how about one dude on the back of the wagon with a pole arm that anybody that gets within 10 feet just stink? <laughs> Wait, both male and female carnies take battle axes and swords to the face. There's even a mute mid- uh, a mute little person in clown makeup who gets in on the action, as well as a dude who looks like Pee Wee Herman with two Chinese paper lanterns hanging off his head. Uh, it's cra- it's crazy. Pee Wee Herman's wife is... Oh yeah, no, she's hot. She's not as hot as that blonde in Glass Onion, but she's pretty. She's pretty Ugh. hot. It's a crazy fucking scene to kick off this movie. Uh, Tut, you messaged me earlier that you like the old scantily clad leader of the Carnies, uh, Gray Shaft. For some reason, you liked his name. I don't know what that was all about. I don't remember saying that at all. It was it was in there. You you, you said it. You I like that old guy Gray Shaft. I'm like, okay. Oh. Don't sometimes, remember that at all. Sometimes Tut, when you're drinking your Imperial Porters, you'll send me messages and I, I usually disregard them, but No, I'm sure that didn't happen. Tuttle the hell out of that guy. <laughs> Dude, Tut's totally going to his infamous Halloween party this year as Gray Shaft. Hey, speaking of dark and mysterious shafts, if you were listening to me earlier, you'd know about the newly released tubular-shaped bit of awesomeness that was just unleashed by our good friends at Drew Estate. And if you weren't listening, shame on you. I'll bet Enter Sandman's your favorite Metallica song, you fucking noobs. Uh, Dark, bold, and unapologetic. Tut is smoking one right now, the blackened... M81, uh, the 81 refers to the year that Metallica was formed. 
1981, by Drew's date, is an intense journey into uncharted, deepest, darkest, heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. A masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew State's own Jonathan Drew. The All Maduro Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew State is rich, powerful, beautifully balanced, and it offers a tantalizing notes of leather chocolate espresso that's perfect for both life's celebrations and times of reflection. I'm thinking I would use that more for times of reflection than celebrations. When I want to go outside and reflect, that's what I'm smoking. I say either either way you're either or you're okay either or okay. Uh, Well, I said it earlier. I love how all the hot chicks in this movie are basically wearing '80s bikinis. Uh, I guess they blew their budget on the fire breather because (laughs) they're like, "Eh, that's a that's a bottle of Everclear and a lighter." There you go. I will say this. I took three semesters back at Sam Houston State University, a class called Bikinis of the 1980s. And I'm pretty sure chicks did not wear high cut Brazilian bikinis in the old days of battle axes and magical rubies. I could be mistaken. I did go to Sam Houston, but uh, I, th- I think that's historically inaccurate. Um, well, the barbarian twin little boys twin like my beer. God damn, I'm good. You son of a bitch. Uh, they are captured and sentenced to a lifetime of slavery under the evil regime. Doctor, I do love me some Richard Lynch. Whether it's Invasion USA, Rostov, Alligator 2, The Mutation, or I recently watched his mindfuck role as an alien blonde Jesus in the underrated Larry Cohn flick, God Told Me To, he just always brings the pain, no matter how low budget or nonsensical the role is. Richard Lynch doesn't know how to half-ass it. He just brings it. He is Kadar. I picture him some morning. This is like, it was probably not like a good part of Spain. It's like some dirty area of little mountains and hills. He's He's chugging the local cheap wine, getting on the phone to his agent, like, Christ, you got to get me out of here. He's like, how are the Barbarian Brothers? Like, no one's being reminded of Lawrence Olivier. Get me out of here. <laughs> All right, Richard. Dude, he's got, got this. For you. We're going to get you back on stage. Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> All right, keep talking. Alligator to the mutation. Alligator to the mutation. You play, you play a Cajun alligator. I know. So give me some of that Chanko. <laughs> I encourage everyone to watch Alligator 2 on uh, Amazon Prime. He plays a. Send you some video clips of New Orleans Saints quarterback Bobby A. Bear. Get the accent down. We shoot in two weeks. Go for the horny helmet movie. What you got here is an alligator. There's one big puppet down there. One big puppet down there. <laughs> Every sentence ends on a, a very broad, hard A. Got a big, got a big gator down now. Gonna be a puppet down now. Gonna go I can eat, do anybody, anywhere, at gonna, any time. Gonna go eat me some beans and rice down there, huh? <laughs> Here I am in Fort Lauderdale, <laughs> Miami. <laughs> Richard, Richard Lentz rocks. Um, He just, uh, man, Kadar, Richard Lynch. He had quite the harem of hot babes there too, didn't he? 
There were like 30 of them. Times 10. That also brings back some college memories of my dorm, but uh, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave dudes. it at that. That's all it is, is that. Barbarian dudes. Oh, and speaking of actors that I love, seen pop up on screen, horror icon Michael Berryman of the Hillside uh-huh. fame. He shows up here with a unicorn horn strapped to his forehead as one of Kadar's warriors named Dirtmaster. Tut, when you are playing your D&D, do you ever envision yourself with a unicorn horn? No, but I will. And a buffalo skin loincloth and a big horn on your forehead? No. I mean, that's what we, I'm dressing. He can't all be as awesome as as Berryman, but that's what I'm kicking down the I'm kicking down the doors to Creekside Cigar Lounge in my loincloth and unicorn horn tomorrow. I thought that's what I would wear to observe. To, to I thought I'd wear that to just silently observe. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to make a scene. I don't. I don't want to stand up. You wanted to make a great fantasy quest movie. It should have just been Lynch and Berryman. Like they're the two heroes going on a quest. Well, that yes. would be a nice movie. <laughs> Anywho, the Dirt Master is responsible for training the young barbarians to become grown barbarians through slave labor, lots of bull whipping, and boulder carrying, obviously. They gotta carry a lot of big they, boulders. I mean, it was one of those where you could clearly tell, like, are you carrying that boulder? Well, now you need to carry a bigger boulder. Oh. As they get older, okay. the boulders get bigger. So, so one thing there, there was one shot. It was shot at the knee level of feet, and it was like, and then the kids were like thrown into the pit. I literally thought that they were reproducing the uh, the wheel of the wheel Conan. pan. Oh no! Yeah. Every everything in this this first thirty minutes is is a ripoff of Conan. Well, and, and just before we get to this, so like when they bring all the people in, I mean, literally, it is a Conan ripoff because like, so, and I and I noticed this, so uh, uh, Lynch's character's writing in, and the guy literally to like his right or le- or his, his right hand man, he's literally wearing the Conan helmet, or the, that Conan is wearing at the very end of Conan the Barbarian that Arnold puts on in the Battle of the Mounds. It's got the two little horns, the first strip. And then when I he think- gets down there and, and Lynch's character is like, I have won and defeated these people. The first dude that raises up his weapon is literally the little hawk nose weapon that like, Mombata is waving yeah. around in Conan the Destroyer. I'm like... I was like, oh, there it is. There it is. It's right wait, there. Wait, what does Tarantino say? Uh, hacks do homages. Real artists steal. They're stealing from Conan. I'm Amen. Okay I love okay. it. This is the things that I want to see. Well, the end result was that these guys grow up to be two insanely humongous bodybuilder tw- twin barbarians. Uh, so it's it's basically like if you bought Conan the Barbarian at Marshall's. It's kind of okay with that. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm completely fine with that. I'm not judging. I too. want. I need these films in my life. So the movie stars real life twin bodybuilding thespians. Sorry, quote fingers thespians. David and Peter Paul, who first arrived on the scene with minor roles in the 1983 Mr. T star DC Cab. 
And then they go on to headline the goofy 1992 cop movie Double Trouble, followed by the 1994 goofy babysitting comedy Twin Sitters. And that's about it as far as their rather short filmography goes. Uh, the doctor has been referring to me all week since he watched the film as the third barbarian brother due to my impressive muscle mass and my insane upper body strength. It's flattering. It's it's flattering, but it's also kind of embarrassing if I'm being honest about it. Because nobody's saying I put my muscular meaty thighs into my pants one leg at a time every morning, just like everybody else. Um, no, I will say this. (laughs) <laughs> I like watching Tut laugh. <laughs> if you want to see the Paul <laughs> if you want to see the Paul twins acting at their finest, <laughs> I don't know why I like Tut- watching Tut laugh so much. I don't uh, know why I'm laughing. Head over to YouTube and check out a deleted scene from Natural Born Killers. Oh, my God. That was awesome. The twins played the Hun brothers who are interviewed by Robert Downey Jr. in an Australian accent after their legs are chainsawed off by Mickey and Mallory. It's really funny stuff. And I don't remember Natural Born Killers, but I can't imagine why they would cut that scene out because it's gold. Oh, it is. It's great. Um and I, I actually remember the I, I I vaguely remember Natural Born Killers, but I remember the context like they were doing the, you know, America was starting to kind of like idolize these these serial killers, uh, and everybody was getting on their bandwagon. So I I remember the mon the little clip montage that 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 this probably fit into. Yeah, but yeah, they should have left this in. They should have left it in. It just made me remind me of when we did the NBK cigar and had James Brown on the show, the blender of that cigar, that we didn't do Natural Born Killers. <laughs> it seemed like a perfect pairing, but I didn't, I honestly didn't make the connection between NBK and Natural Born Killers. So we did like a Charlie Sheen biker movie for some reason. And, uh, anyway, uh, well, the brothers are forced, once they're grown, they've been separated, to fight each other to the death. But they eventually knock each other's helmets off and realize they're twins. Hey, it's me. I'm your brother, Bonehead. Again, uh, unlike Conan, the great John Milius and Oliver Stone had nothing to do with this screenplay that Yax swears is written by one of the world's greatest authors. I didn't say he was the greatest author. I said he set off. <laughs> hey, yo, bonehead. It's me. Why Why are you wearing my face? <laughs> Once again, Actually, that's he had to work with what they wanted to give him. And what did they give him? Not much. However, he well, threw in some stuff that he was already working on into this film. So rewind a little bit. Oh God. In his books and in this movie, the beginning players are traveling bards, minstrels, actors, whatever. Carnies. Carnies. In his books with the death dealer, that's who he begins with. The traveling actors, the, the bards. And one of the very things is the is the the initial character Canary, she's wearing a cloak of of many colors. You you don't really pay attention to it, but 
It's red, green, blue, yellow. His initial character in his books, same thing. A cloak of many colors. I mean, it's a... So. Interesting. Dude, I I had no idea this was coming, this kind of insight. Uh, Well, the reason I say this is like if... For all the, all the all the people that pay attention or you know follow I, in those characters, I yeah, I don't want to speak for you, but I think what you're saying is where the movie failed delivering this this writer's ideas, he corrected it in the written form. Oh yes, very okay. much so. Okay, uh, and where Arnold's thick Austrian accent actually worked great as Conan of Samaria. These guys' East Coast accents don't do them any favors here. Uh, so they escape the evil lair of Kadar on horseback, vow revenge on their captors, and pledge to rescue the smoking hot queen, Canary. As the ever-wise comedian Dennis Miller once astutely observed, Hey, these two lunkheads have the acting range of Rob Gronkowski in one of those USAA banking commercials, huh? Hey, babe, huh? It was actually incredibly astute. <laughs> it was, it was spot on, spot on. Um. Well, folks, uh, for you guys watching on YouTube, you'll notice the doctor has had, he's got an early, uh, he's got an early surgery in in the morning or something. uh, He's got to perform some early vasectomies in the morning. And, uh, it had nothing to do with my terrible Dennis Miller impression, which always leaves. That's not, that's not terrible. It's the best Dennis Miller. I love the Dennis Miller. You can pull the Dennis Miller out every single fucking show and I will laugh my balls off. I try to use it sparingly. Uh, but uh, I, I thought it was apt. Okay. Well, now we can uh, we can uh, enjoy the the rest of the ride here. So the twins, the barbarian twins. Man, I knocked it out of the park with my beer selection. The twin beer? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I've heard better. Uh, they stumble across their old family of carny folk. This is the one thing that kind of attracted me to this film, because I don't know if I ever told you boys, the only thing I know about my grandmother on my father's side was she was from Switzerland because when she came, she was adopted. So it it took a lot of digging, but she was Swiss, a beautiful blonde uh, woman. Uh, And she was a carny. Yes. I come from a line of carnies. Uh, that explains so so her, much. My 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 ancestors on my father's mother's side were all carnival folk, uh, which that should explain a lot. Um. <laughs> anyway, uh, they stumble across their old family of carny folk, and after a rather cold reception, keep in mind the carnies don't recognize the grown-up brothers. They were little boys when they saw them. Well, it was literally twenty years ago, right? Even though the carnies look the exact same, they the exact age. same. They haven't aged a day. Uh, the brothers obviously have grown up into these immense Mister Olympias. Uh, they they attempt to kill the brothers by hanging them, but their trapezius muscles are so strong, they just flex and break the uh, noose. Uh, uh, 
They just break the noose apart. Uh, so then they decide to join forces. The Pee Wee Herman dude with the pinatas hanging off. Well, they, the they were they were marked they were marked with the Carney brand. They, they did uh, have the Carney the brand, which actually, boys, if you're ready, I've actually have it on. No, I, I, I don't. You have don't have the Carney brand. Uh, well, they joined forces, and uh, the Pee Wee Herman dude with the pinatas hanging off his head is now the leader, and he says. They don't have any weapons to take on Kadar and rescue Queen Canary, to which the boys explain, hey, we don't need weapons. Just look at us. We're freaking huge. We are the weapons. And I realized that the Barbarian Brothers sound just like my cousin BC, (laughs) which longtime listeners to the show will know exactly what I'm talking about. Yaks, they actually sound more like the Barbarian Brothers. BC sounds more like the Barbarian Brothers than Officer What's-His-Face on Assy McGee. It honestly is the truth. I'm sorry. Hey, Assy. <laughs> All right. And the Academy Award goes too. Eh? I'm telling you, folks, watching these two lunkheads recite their lines makes Tara Reid look like Meryl freaking Streep. Eh? Eh? Am I right, Chachi? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there, Tut. You got your two Dennis Millers in there. Oh God, my night is complete. Thank God the doctor was gone for that. Well, the boys. <laughs> I've noticed as I get older and the more I smoke cigars, it's harder and harder to do Dennis Miller. I used to do a lot of Dennis Miller riffing like in my younger years and I had this and now it's like (laughs) the smoking constricts your vocal cords you won't be able to reach the upper levels I uh, I I do my best I actually thought about last year, our March to Halloween, I thought about doing the uh, Tales from the Blood. Bordello Blood with Dennis Miller but I was like (laughs) <laughs> why can't we do that this 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 halloween it's like community theater fueled by malt liquor babe huh? <laughs> brought to you by the over. fine Doc brought to you by the up. fine folks at king cobra huh? Huh? Doc is going to be over there just dousing himself and oh no no he, no he he wouldn't be in that i, I would never do that when he's around he has no tolerance for my shenanigans. Uh, well, the boys in a sexy sleep. Dude, is, is Yax? Yax, are you alive? I am alive. Okay. So the Dennis Miller works for you dudes. Okay. Well, the well, the boys and a sexy slave chick they join forces with named Ismeen. Oh, yes. Go to a tavern. Turns out they decide they might actually need some weapons after all. So TNCC style, they go looking for them at a bar. We got to get some weapons together. All right, let's go to that bar. Perfect. Makes it. All of our problems will be answered. And the tavern scene is actually pretty impressive from a set design. Set design. Design. The designer. It is wonderfully designed. Set design standpoint. 
There's moments in the film, believe it or not, that actually look pretty expansive and really cool. This is the first one of them. It's a huge tavern, and there's like hundreds of dudes there drinking flagons. There's a, there's a of lot meat. of scenes that are very tightly shot, but they've got so many people packed in there. Like uh, yeah. you know, when when Lynch first walks in, it's like, hey, I defeated the people. There's yeah. lots of people there. I mean, it, it looks good. There's a G-string wearing belly dancer. There's hundreds of sweaty drunk dudes drink chugging flagons of mead. Now, I have Again, to admit, it, it reminded me of the dancer of my... that was on the stage. I felt yeah. weird watching her because I swear she's like 14. Don't question. It was all legal back in the say, day. All legal. I was going to say oh, yeah. the G-string wearing belly dancer and the hundreds of sweaty dudes drinking mead reminded me a lot of my dorm room back at Sam Houston State University, minus the belly dancer. Legal. Uh, I'm just going to keep yelling to that. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Do you know where I can buy some weapons? One of the Legal. Barbar- one of the barbarians says. Uh, he actually asks a cyclops, a dude with one eye. I mean, I guess we can't say for certain that people didn't talk like New Jersey sanitation workers back in the days of high adventure, but I'm thinking they did not. Well, I mean, you never you know. Don't know that. There's lots of accents. I mean, why not? Well, an arm wrestling match against a local crime lord leads to an all-out bar fight, and naturally the Barbarian Brothers come out victorious. Those guys were mad, one of the barbarian muscle down Jesus. as they gallop away from the melee on their horses. First of all, my heart goes out to those horses that had to carry those fuckers. Those guys were like, they had like a fucking towel on each, like their, their lats, their back muscles were like cows, like. Dude, they were beyond body. I mean, these guys were huge. They were, they were, they could have, if they had jumped off a mountain, they could have wingsuited it with their <laughs> lats. Like, look at me, I'm flying. I'm, al- yeah. I'm alive. Yeah. Oh, that poor uh, horse looks at them. No, fuck this. That was the fourth definition of Cade on Urban Dictionary. When you can jump off a mountain and soar down to the earth on your lats spread. That was a Cade. I don't think that was any part of it whatsoever. Pulling a Cade. Yeah, don't you, these guys are, are ridiculous. Um, they tracked down Queen Canary in Kadar's harem of naked chicks. And she tells the boys they have to retrieve the sacred ruby from a place called Lime Tree that's guarded by a ferocious dragon called the Gravemaker. But first, they'll need to acquire some powerful weapons from the tomb of the ancient king. Hey, yo, tomb face, you got any weapons? They didn't say that, but I was ready for them to say that. It might as well have. They did say that. (laughs) In the book. those weapons. It's going to be awesome. Actually, Cades, in the novel, they do call him tomb face. There are no novels. And then Still they, didn't write that. He only wrote it about the... Uh, I just... I give up! I thought it would be a great insight, but now it's been dragged down into the mud. It has not. It is not. It's, it's too late. You've already dragged it down. 
In the books, do they order a plate of nachos before they storm the castle? No. <laughs> hey, hey, you want some nachos? I don't like nachos. Give me those I, nachos. I like nachos. You don't like nachos? Uh, Canary gives them both a fist bump, and they're on their way. She she says, "If you if you you can't take me with you because because Kadar will get suspicious. Just leave me here. I, I I got this covered. I'll be fine." And they're on their way, but not before they wake up some wenches by making a loud honking wampa noise. Uh, uh, uh. Scolded from Revenge of the Nerds. For some inexplicable reason, they make that noise a lot. But hey, it works. They both get laid. How about that? Why wouldn't they? I mean, they're they're, they're beefcakes. Of course. Of course. Tut, do you and your virginal friends make those kind of bizarre noises like a pack of pissed off Tuscan Raiders when you're playing D&D? No, but we do make those noises when we're gathered around our Skullnick altar. Oh, that's a thing? Mm-hmm. I feel like you're Absolutely. playing. I feel like you're toying with me at this point. The barbarians defeat some kind of hairy werewolf monster that's guarding the ancient tomb fairly easily. They just rip, I'm sorry, but they just rip his arms off. They literally I I'm gonna this is the, my one problem with this film is like it's like they raided a haunted house. Are you using this? Well, we were going to use it. You know, we're taking it. We're going to take it for our movie. <laughs> uh, what are you going to do with it? Well, we're going to have some guy just hold the arms and go, blah. I, and that was the it. Whole scene, the whole scene where they're holding up the werewolf or whatever, the wolf head, and they're barking. I actually loved. I just, I loved that whole well, scene. It made me think. It made me think, Tut. And I think this is a fair question to ask. Who's this movie made for? Nine-year-old. It was made for everybody. I'm going to go a step further than Tut. This movie was made for five-year-olds. For everybody. I think so. I think five-year-olds. Or, on the other hand, as Yakboy said, for everybody. (laughs) For everybody. Well, they get their special weapons. But it's too late, as the evil sorceress has defied Kadar's orders and retrieved the sacred ruby on her own, although she pays for her treachery with her life. With the ruby's power now unleashed, a powerful mystical wind blows across the land, causing Kadar, hundreds of miles away, to stand up from his throne and start swinging his sword at the wind. What is this? I guess Why maybe, is this wind? I guess maybe you had to be there. <laughs> I can't imagine ever being like a, a evil warlord and a breeze blows in. I'm like, I'm going to kill this goddamn wind. Never has it touched my face in such a manner. What the fuck is that? Was that different in the books? This was never part of the books. Okay. He, hey. He wisely left that out. The twins finally make their way to Lime Tree, 
where they discovered the sacred ruby missing, only to be attacked by some of the sorceresses' remaining men. They killed them with some epic swamp tosses. Dude, they... Oh, dude, it was Barbarian Bro Swamp Toss. Dude, they shoulder-press these, these dudes into swamp tosses and just toss them in the swamp. Perfect. Oh, and then, as was the tradition in that ancient time, they high-five each other. Yes. Yeah. That was the ancient ways. Don't question it. And then they're forced to face the aforementioned dragon, a.k.a. the Gravemaker. Shouldn't it, shouldn't it be called the Grave Sender? He's not out there digging graves. He's sending them to the grave. It was more of a Freudian nightmare, is what it was. Oh. Well, no, no. I'm going to get to that in a minute. <laughs> All right, I'll get to it now. Anybody else think this massive dragon looked like a giant uncircumcised dick with fangs? It was exactly what it was. I don't... Uh, it actually, like, came out of its head. Like, it, it grew like... You it ever was, watch... It, like, if you ever watch European pornos and you're like... Oh, what, what what's that? Oh, ugh. Why would you I'm do a that? dragon. Look at my head pop out. No, no, no. Stop. Just, just go back in. Why? Why would you do it? Not why would you do that to your wang? But like, why would you not do that to your wang, dude? Yeah, it looked like a big uncircumcised dick with chompers coming at him. Is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> What Obviously, has my life become. <laughs> Dude, the doctor's sleeping peacefully now. Don't look at it. It lo- <sighs> uh, I hope you knuckleheads at home are taking note. That's critical film analysis. It the fact is. that the fact that two out of the three of us saw that dragon and saw it as a giant uncircumcised pecker. Coming at him like Bruce the Shark. You're not going to get that anywhere else. Uh, message to our sponsors. Uh, we've been <laughs> doing this for eight years. Hey, you knew what you signed up for. I am wearing the uh, Drew Estate uh, hat. Everywhere I go, I represent our headline sponsors, much to their chagrin. <laughs> Every word I say out of my mouth is somehow sponsored by Drew Estate Cigars. <laughs> Uh, you gotta admit, man. They, whoever, this picture, JD, understand artists at the time, but eventually you understand the artists. Yeah, uh, talking about this big uncircumcised dragon dick, that's my raison d'etre. It's why I'm here. No one else is talking about that shit. I'm here. Close your brain box, listen to them. That's why our headline sponsor is Drew State. They get us, and we get them. It's been a beautiful partnership for many years, and I hope it continues uh, for forever. Come on, dude. That was a big fucking chomping penis coming at them dudes. It, and, the fact that I, and the fact that I mentioned that when you watch porn and it's Euro, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, Jesus. Tut, it's reacting. He knows what I'm fucking talking about. He's all in. 
It's wrong. So fucking wrong, but right. Don't be tuttling. I know what they're thinking over there, and I'm definitely not tuttling with that shit. I'm going to Pornhub. I'm looking up tuttling. Oh, God, don't do it. Every damn tuttling. Don't don't you dare type in tuttling to Pornhub. Oh, my God. Uh, Jesus. Okay. Uh, Oh, my God. Um, Well, they kill it. They kill that big, uncircumcised European dick, splitting open its belly, which soaks them in a green, uncircumcised dragon goo. We know it's not goo. Oh, we know it's not goo. Don't we type know that. what it is. Don't we type know that. what it is. Don't you type that shit into Pornhub. God, I miss that dorm room. Oh, uh... Where was I? Uh, okay. You know, for a, pl- a pleasant sounding place like Lime Tree, I think Lime Trees, I, I had a Lime Tree in my, my yard for many years. I think like pleasant and peaceful and, you know, limes make my margaritas. And dude, Lime Tree was a spooky fucking death swamp. It was kind of creepy, wasn't it? And it was, I thought, more so than the tavern, more so than Kadar's harem. I thought lime tree with the with the swamp gas and the the old trees and the cobwebs. I thought it looked really cool. For for not having a, a big budget, man, their set pieces were really nice. Well, keep in mind this is a canon group. This is a canon group film. These are the guys that made all the eighties Bronson movies, the Char- the Chuck Norris Invasion USA. Yeah. Like canon group wasn't afraid to to drop some money, but. This seemed a little out of their wheelhouse because yeah. I, I don't know what this movie was for because by casting these two chuckleheads, you're not taking the movie seriously. You're not trying to make a serious Conan yeah. type thing. Well, I wonder, I wonder like, like, cause when I looked at that, that swamp pit sweat uh, set piece, I was thinking of like the princess bride never ending story. I wonder, like, if they had access to to pre-designed set pieces oh, that like were there maybe, on the lot. Like, maybe that already existed and they just yeah, re- yeah. repurposed it? Okay, yeah. well, that, I actually never saw either of those movies you just referenced, so that could be. I heard The Princess Bride was good. Yeah, yeah, it is. Was that the one where they're like, have fun storming the castle? Yes. That's right. Billy Crystal? Oh, that's why I didn't see it. I fucking hate Billy Crystal. Carol Hughes. Carrie Hughes. Carrie Hughes. Oh, no, you gotta see it. You can't can't pull that shit. No, You gotta see it. It's amazing. I'm a huge fan of Carrie Hughes. I am. Yes, you are, but no, you aren't. Come on, man. Just change your name to something people can say. Everybody can say it. Was it Deborah from Psych? I mean, come on. Yak boy, how do you uh, how do you say his name? Yules. Carrie Yules. Yules. It Yules. It's not Carrie Yules. It's not spelled like Yules. It's not you. Uh, don't pull that shit. Ah, uh, killing me. I'm sorry. We we all like Carrie. Yules. Hey, he was. Hey, he was good yeah. in Str- He was good as the mayor in Stranger Things. I can't listen yes, to you. 
Yes, he was. He was, also, he was also really good in Saw. Yes. And yes, he, was, he was. And he was great in, was it Hot Shots? Yes, absolutely. He, he played the ripoff of the Iceman character. You're right, Tut. He was great in uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Only Robin Hood to speak with a British accent. And he was also great on Seinfeld. He played uh, somebody on Seinfeld. Really? Yeah. Who the fuck did he play on Seinfeld? Oh, he was on Seinfeld, baby. I, I'm too drunk to remember the exact... Oh, you know, that's right. <laughs> I'm yeah, too drunk right. to remember, but he he, he, was, he was on Seinfeld. Uh, oh, no, he was married to the chick from Will and Grace. Deborah Messing on Seinfeld. And they got divorced. And Elaine went Yeah, yeah. Elaine right. went Elaine went to him and Jerry went to Deborah Messing. That's right. Uh well the twins rinse off their green goo in a waterfall. They give the ruby to their female sidekick, Ismini. Uh, who's tasked with returning it to the flaming Pee-wee Herman with the two giant rib rows hanging off his head. And then they're off to try and rescue Queen Canary once again from Kadar's treacherous grasps. But it's too late, as Kadar has already stabbed Canary through the heart, Canary through the heart, freeing her from the confines of the mortal world. Hard to believe that these two bungling morons screwed that part of the mission up, right? It's hard to believe they let her die. Not, 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 not that hard. You know what, though? When he stabbed her and released her, and she was like, I'm no longer confined to to planet Earth, and I can now... that That's honestly what I felt like tonight after dry January, drinking a beer for the first time in two weeks. Because if you read my dry January journal, I'm like... Day one. Because if it was dry January and it was already 26, they'd be more than two weeks. Well, the local brewery had a lobster truck like the first week of January, and <laughs> I went and had some beers. But it, before night, it's been like two weeks. But if you read my dry January journal, it's like day one. It, it wasn't even, you didn't even make it 14 days. Dry January, day one. Fuck humanity. Fuck life. I hate everything. I want to die. That would have been written on like January 8th. Day two, I'm thinking about killing myself. I hate everything and everyone. Okay. All right. So my dry January wasn't a smashing success. I drank at a brewery or the food truck, but then I gave it up for a couple of weeks. I'm doing it here tonight. I think I did pretty good. Sure. It all counts. It's all relative. I didn't even know this whole dry January was a thing. So. Oh, and by the way, the doctor was all like, I don't even know what he told me. He'd tried it one year. He melt. He lasted like six days. No way, man. I. I did it. Sort of. So, anywho, somehow is becomes the new queen of the land because the sacred ruby fits into her belly button 
where it doesn't some other hot chicks. Don't question it. I didn't. Yax, I was hoping to make it at least through January before I wrote a sentence that stupid. Here I am, my keyboard. Ismini becomes the new queen of the land because the sacred ruby fits into her belly button. I couldn't even make it through January without writing some... You've written written way more worse things. And the barbarian... I, I have. Uh, and the Barbarian Brothers kill Kadar. Get this. It's like this epic showdown. And he corners them. His crossbow jams. It won't fire, so they just throw his swords through him and he dies. No, no, no. That's it. Did you not really see? He tries to shoot them with the crossbow, but he doesn't have any fingers to pull the trigger because they shoot his they fingers off. off. In the oh, is that why yeah. the crossbow? I don't know. Maybe I don't know. With his other fingers, twenty fucking years, you'd figure out he didn't have two fingers. He would have to use a different finger to pull the crossbow. He might have been like, you know what, crossbow is probably not my thing anymore. Oh, I missed that. I that's why he couldn't fire the crossbow because his missing. Yeah, Yeah. but I will say this thing was written for five year olds. By the way, Uh, I will say that there was one stunt piece in this where uh, uh, Lynch is riding towards the brothers and they they swing when he rides past, but he ducks under them and slices both of them as the ride through. I thought that was, I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was a, a neat, little, neat little thing. I liked it. Well, like we said, it's written for five-year-olds. <laughs> oh, and then the Paw Patrol comes in and... Kills Kadar from the evil. Uh... <laughs> Dora comes in and she's asking the, the explorer with her help from her trusty backpack takes down Kadar when no one else could. Uh, everyone's happy and lives happily ever after. I assume. I found that most mentally deficient adults live ha- relatively happy at lives, uh, which which these two dudes certainly fit that mold. Uh, more often than not, I find it sucks knowing what actually is going on in the world. I I envy these guys. Yeah, uh, there is bliss and ignorance. There is ignorance is bliss in some cases, and you get the feeling that these dudes never know what the fuck's going on, and that's a okay with them. Uh, the end. Yay. I'd actually watch this movie like like I said early in the nineties, I think like on the HBO deal. So uh when when you said hey we're watching it, I was like, Oh cool. Yeah, I I'd seen it. Of course it's all what's weird is um, it's not uh, it's not weird at all. Amazon Prime's been trying to get me to watch this for like the past three months. Uh it's like, Oh, movies you like, the barbarians. Hey, you like to watch but, shit. You like to watch the, total shit. You might like this. But the funny thing was is that when you sent that clip of Natural Born Killers, which I I, I do remember the movie, and I was like, what? They were in that? And then it was like, no, it was a deleted scene. Uh, man, they should have left that in. That, that was a great scene. It was so great. Uh, they, and they were, like, really good in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. They, they they were being kind of themselves, but they but it actually they were themselves for once. It it worked. 
in, in it's a, funny because like uh Downey's doing the Australian accent, which he also donned in Tropic Thunder uh when he was the Australian ac- actor there. And so it was just really weird seeing a young Downey Jr. with the Australian accent playing the the snobby yeah. uh, reporter. I, I, I thought that was a great scene. Man. I had actually forgot he was even in that. I I wasn't a big fan of Natural Born Killers when it came out, but uh, as the cool kid at the time, I had a huge six foot Natural Born Killers poster that I got because I worked at the movies in my dorm room. And whenever somebody would come in, like, oh, sweet. And I'm like, yeah, I hated that movie. I was like the first hipster. <laughs> that that makes total sense, actually. It's like, oh, sweet, sweet Natural Born Killers poster. I hate that movie. It's in your play, it's in your dorm room. What what's her name? Julia Lewis? Yeah. Yeah, I had to think for her back in the day. Mm-hmm. Dude, she looks great. She's still yum yum. Okay. Uh, All jokes aside, I had fun with the movie. I didn't regret watching it. It's a fun movie. Don't take it for anything more serious than it is. I do have a blast with it. I do wonder what the Canon Group, uh, Golem and Globus, or whatever their names are, were were thinking. Because if you're going to pump money into this sword and sorcery flick but have your two dudes talk like meatheads it's- i don't know you know when 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 the doc was talking about the book uh fiasco and he was like everybody wants to nobody goes out to design a flop they all want a blockbuster i'm not sure the canon group was looking at this as a blockbuster no no no, no. i, I, no, I no, think they, somebody they- behind the scenes threw some money at them because they wanted a barbarian film and these guys are like we can totally make you a barbarian film give us some money they gave them some money and this is what they gave them yeah the 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 comedy and the humor is completely unintentional due to these these inexperienced bodybuilder dudes (laughs) But they 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 did deliver a a sword and sorcery flick, uh, of uh, uh I guess. Well, like I said, I mean, you you put Richard Lynch, <laughs> you put Michael <laughs> Berryman, dude. Let, let's just let's just let's just call it what it is. It's fucking crazy. Like it's crazy. Are you the even low budget Cannon Group? I mean, yeah, they knew. All those late 80s Bronson crime flicks weren't going to be blockbusters, but they bring in money on VHS. You still had to realize when you're making this and you're putting money into costumes and and things, and then you have lines like, yo, dude, where's my sword? But you know, you, we we joke about this being marketed to five year olds, but there's probably an accountant somewhere saying there is a demographic of five year olds that will do this, and the reason why we think that this will make money is look at the Conan franchise, look at the He Man franchise. The He Man guys are like all crazy. That's not that's not you know Shakespeare, you know. So there there's all of that that kind of stuff. You know, maybe they were just like. Hey, we're hot right now. Let's throw some barbarians out there. Let's let's get a little money. <laughs> Call it a day. A rare miss. 
but if you're if you're if you're just drinking and watching TV, you could do a lot worse. That should be the quote on the poster. Tuesday Night Cigar Club. If you're drinking heavily and watching TV, maybe this could be something. You could do a Tuesday- lot worse. I guess I've seen something worse than this. Tuesday Night Cigar Club. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the end. Um, well, I thought for our first show of the year, uh, and thank you very much if you made it this far and to join us. Uh, I, th- I thought it tied into our fire pit discussion. I thought it cleverly uh, worked its way in with the cigar and my beer. Uh, so yeah. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully you're liking the, the new approach we're doing to things. Uh, before we let you go, Tut, do you have any exciting links to share with the folks? Uh, yeah, you can hit us up at Tuesday night, cigar club.com. Uh, you can hit us up on Facebook, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. You can hit us up on Twitter at TNCC Cast. I think it is. I don't know. Uh, you can hit us on Instagram, <laughs> TNCC underscore podcast. And then uh, definitely hit us and subscribe on YouTube, Tuesday Night Cigar Club, baby. Yeah, we should, we actually had a huge surge of subscribers on YouTube at the end of the year. I think it was the Sokka interview. Uh, we, we got a lot of kind words. Uh uh, Steve Saka is very good at sharing stuff. And one of the, one of the commenters said something like the first 15 minutes of that show were the funniest dialogue he'd ever seen on YouTube in his life. When we were just talking uh, about news stories with Steve and I'm like, fuck yeah, that's what we try to do. So that made my entire year. Yeah, no, it's cool to it's cool to see when it works. And uh man, we've been doing it for eight years, so go check out 158 episodes of Hilarity. <laughs> it's nothing new. We've been make we've been, It'll be 63 by the time you finish it. But go we've ahead. been saying funny shit for years. Uh thanks for thanks for discovering us. Uh also Tut, we are back in business with famous smokeshop.com. Uh Ooh, that means you can go to the Tuesday night cigar club.com website. If you're going to do some shopping at Famous Smoke Shop, then click that banner, and then it'll automatically plug you in with the promo code TNCC20, where you will get $20 off any order above 100 bucks. Get this. Right now, the BX3 that we smoked tonight are 20% off naturally on famoussmokeshop.com. Drop that promo code TNCC20 on there and get 20 bucks off. You get a box of these things for like under a hundred bucks. Yeah, come on. Do it. Do it. Do it. Um, well, Do thank it. you everyone for uh, sticking with us and for uh, joining us here tonight. I hope you like the new format. I hope you like a little more kind of a uh, little bit insight of what we dig on our free time and then just kind of taking a more uh rushed approach to breezy through a film but uh man with films like this it's easy to breeze through it uh so (laughs) we'll see we'll see where this goes uh in the meantime we will see you soon and may the wings of liberty never lose a feather sayonara motherfuckers we'll see you in february Bye. 
learn more about the time I was captured by an evil wizard and forced into slave labor until I grew up to break free of my shackles and act out my bloodthirsty revenge, please read my new erotic fantasy novel, Big Wang, the Barbarian of Love. It's got everything. Swords, big wangs, hot chicks wearing random bits of fur and little bits of metal and stuff who cast spells that shrink big wangs down to normal-sized wangs, it's got black magic, it's got more big barbarian wangs, and a smoking hot elf named Bonarella. Watch out, barbarian brothers. There's a new wang in town, and it ain't taking no prisoners. Available wherever truly terrible self-published paperbacks are sold. Oh, and uh, of course, to learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, please visit caocigars.com. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'BrienSimple.com and download their free smartphone app, where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.fritzbeermusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club Podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying, until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky, and for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well. Get drunk, go to sleep, I get up.